Welcome to episode 147 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined as always by Paul Herman, or as most of the time. I know the last episode it was just me, uh, but joined once again by Paul Herman. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing really, really well. Had a great Christmas. My wife spoiled me rotten, and I, you know, I'm super, super appreciative and grateful that I have an amazing woman like her as my as my partner and yeah it's a great christmas i didn't get a lot of marvel stuff except for one thing and that was my jack kirby um art book which is it's actually almost like a it's it's a a paperback and it's almost like a they made it like a notebook like 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 a just you know whatever it's really cool looking um I, i can't really hard to explain but it's it's beautiful and I can't wait to go through it and I'm on a Star Wars high right now so that's why I didn't get a lot of Marvel centric uh, Christmas stuff but that was one thing I definitely wanted there's obviously there's some non-Marvel stuff in it but it's mostly Marvel because he's essentially him and Stanley essentially created the Marvel Universe so but yeah it's amazing I had a great effectively they did yeah essentially yeah so yeah yeah good Oh, yeah, for Christmas for me, I, I got one Marvel item. It was a mug that my niece got me because I love coffee and I love hot chocolate, so I have a lot of mugs, and they're mostly Marvel mugs, and so I got another one. And I, I never hate getting a Marvel mug, and it's actually a pretty awesome one. Marvel Comics, not uh, not an MCU mug. Uh, but, yeah, when it comes to Marvel, I'm very, very hard to shop for because if I want it, I get it immediately. Because I just have that collector mentality of if I don't get it right when I want it and right when it comes out, then it's going to sell out and I'm not going to be able to get it. So the FOMO runs high for for Marvel items for me. So I I just get them right away. So there's not really that much left to get me uh, at the end of the year when Christmas comes around. So because I'm selfish and buy so many things for myself throughout the year, uh, there's not really much of a need for people to go heavy on, uh, on Marvel items for me. Uh, usually I'll just get like an Amazon gift card or something so I can pick up whatever other little Marvel item that's on my wish list that I didn't uh, pull the trigger on earlier in the year. Uh, but yeah, so this episode, obviously we're, we're recording this the day after Christmas. So it's December 26th as we, as we record this episode. So this is going to be our last episode of 2019. And what better time to do a year in review show than right now with our final episode of the year and it's been just such a massive Marvel year, as as you are all well aware of, I'm sure. And before we get into, we're going to go through some of the biggest stories of the year and just talk about maybe some of our own fan stories of the year. Uh, but Paul, the the craziest thing for me is just thinking about the fact that this year is is now coming to a close because for such a long time, 2019 was the year that was just kind of this was the year that was just kind of out there of like the year that everybody wanted to to get to because mm-hmm. when you go back to October t- uh, 2014, El Capitan Theater, Kevin Feige lays out phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and that's really culminating in what at the time was Avengers Infinity War Part 2. Subsequently, that became Avengers Endgame. So we knew that we were going to get this big finale of an, the, the big end of an era for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but there's been other things as well that have kind of been added to that mix. So you mentioned being on a Star Wars high right now, getting to Rise of Skywalker, and then for people who watch Game of Thrones, that became mm. the thing. I mean, this was the whole year of the pop culture finale. Um, I would argue Marvel Studios is the only one who nailed it, at least in terms of overall consensus. Yeah, I would, yeah. Uh, but but we did an entire episode about that, so we won't. Uh, we, we can go back to the episode where we did the art of the finale, 
and how Endgame uh, stuck the landing. So uh, we talked about that before. But just the fact that this year that I think was the one we were – I think this more than any other year in pop culture in recent memory is the one that more people were looking forward to. And now we've seen all the big things that were expected this year, all the big finales that, that happened this year. And not just finales. People knew that 2019 would be the next opportunity to actually hear about what Marvel Studios was going to do after Phase 3. And so we went through Comic-Con and, and D23 and everything else. So now here we are at this year that we spent so much time looking forward to. And now it's over. It is just kind of weird to to kind of think about that and and settle in with that. Yeah, this has been like you said it best, man. The the year of the finale, and just like it, it just like uh, we say finale, but like Doctor Manhattan says, nothing ever ends, you know. And yeah, and you know, and that's the kind of thing. When there's endings, there's new beginnings, and and we know with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are a lot. There's a giant new beginning going on with Disney Plus, you know, coming to us, and it's crazy. But I, I definitely feel with as far as Marvels um, and the MCU, it definitely had a, a great ending to I think the you know the twenty year you know the, the twenty years the, the ten years whatever we've we've gone on eleven years, uh, gone on with this, and it's it's crazy how much you know everything's in flux. Always, you know, we've we've got so many great examples to talk about today. Look, you know, again in retrospect, looking back and kind of la- you know we can kind of laugh about certain things, and where other times it was more tension, uh, a lot of tension on fandoms and whatnot. But yeah, this last year really just it was it was a, it was a great year. I mean, as a Marvel fan, I mean, as as someone who's grown up loving Marvel since you know the moment I can remember my earliest memories of loving Spider Man and whatnot. It's it's been very gratifying. I mean, that, that's the thing with I think with Marvel in general, Sean, is that I, again, and, and for better or for worse, it is just consistently good. You know that you just kind of depend on it, and it, it's it's very it's very much old faithful at this point as far as when it comes to movies because I you know even the movies that I haven't loved completely like the you know Volume Two and and Doctor Strange and Ant Man and the Wasp. I don't love them like I do some of the other Marvel films and. And whatnot, but you know what? Like they, they still are—they are not terrible, and I still enjoy them. And that's—that's that's not saying I can't say that a lot for a lot of things that you know that are out there. And it's so crazy to me that it is old faithful. And, and, and it's that's the thing is looking back on the year, it's the same thing, and things just keep going forward and developing. And it's—it's it's fascinating to see. And again, for looking from the year previous, so yeah, it's a—it's uh, crazy what we get. And uh, I'm just so grateful that Marvel, as or Marvel Entertainment, Marvel Studios, uh, is a such a consistent company. Yeah, it's been truly remarkable, and, and I think 2019. Well, I mean, I, I think you can extend it back to 2018 with Black Panther and Avengers: Infinity War and Ant-Man and the Wasp, just rolling along into uh, this year to have. I mean, I mean, of course, the the biggest one being Avengers: Endgame. To have that end the way that it did and be so incredibly satisfying and be such a remarkable film, I mean, that's obviously a lot of that has to do with Endgame itself, but it's what it's Marvel Studios' consistency in building up to that point that that allows it to be so satisfying and allows it to trade off of what Ju- uh, what Joe Russo was commonly referring to as the emotional capital of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that had been built up to uh, up until that point, and so. You know, to have all these things on the horizon as things that we were looking forward to and to have them pay off. I mean, I, when I say the, the year's coming to a close, in some ways it's kind of sad, but not really because now we actually know that this stuff lived up to the hype and it lived up to or exceeded our expectations. 
And now we have this exciting new future where in a lot of ways we have this blank canvas because we really have no idea where Marvel Studios is going to go with a lot of this stuff. But more on that as uh, as the show goes on. So let's get through the year. And as we recap the big stories, we're just going to go in chronological order, although we may miss some things and have to uh, journey back. But if we go back to January of last year, that's where things kicked off. And as I said, reaching back to 2018. So Black Panther, of course, came out in February of 2018. But it was in January of this year that we learned Black Panther had been nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, the first superhero movie or superhero-based movie ever to be nominated for the the Best Picture Oscar. The other uh, Oscar nominations were for costume design, sound mixing, sound editing, original score, production design, and original song for all the stars. And then Black Panther went on in February... And it won three of those Oscars. It did not win Best Picture, uh, but it did win Best Costume Design for Ruth E. Carter. Uh, It won Best Production Design for Hannah Beekler and Jay Hart. And then Ludwig Goransson won for Best Original Score. And those are the first Oscars, by the way, that Marvel Studios had ever won. They had previously been nominated for several Oscars, most of those in the Best Visual Effects category. Uh, Marvel Studios still has not won a Best uh, Visual Effects Oscar, even with Infinity War last year. That went to First Man for reasons I'm not going to bother explaining. So uh, Black Panther, though, became the first Oscar winner for Marvel, first Best Picture nominee in the history of superhero-based movies, which is just another example of this film making history as it did in such a profound way in 2018. And even though it didn't win Best Picture... It did win the Best Ensemble Award for the Screen Actors Guild Awards uh, that were also held. I can't remember if that was January or or February of this year. But Black Panther certainly uh, cemented its status as the most decorated Marvel movie of all time. And uh, I think really there's only a debate between Black Panther and Dark Knight as the overall most decorated and acclaimed uh, superhero-based movie of all time. And I would even say Black Panther might have a bit of an, an edge there. But regardless of that debate... Black Panther absolutely made history or continued making history in a, in a big, big way to start this year. And I, and I really love seeing that to get things going. Yeah, that was I'll be honest. I, I was I was not I was surprised that they it was nominated for Best Picture, not because it was a you know mediocre film or I thought it wasn't as it wasn't capable of it. I just didn't think that the Academy would ever really consider something like that to be a Best Picture nomination, especially with. Again, the Dark Knight happening, you know, 10 years before or whatever, how long it was um, before that, which I felt should have been nominated back then. A lot of us thought that. And but again, times are different. More people are accepting these these uh, these these big franchise films. And, and the fact that, again, Ryan Coogler attempted something that's way bigger than the themes of just a regular superhero movie that, you know, that have come out before it as well, is that is the reason why it was nominated for an Academy Award and was brilliantly and beautifully done. So it was great as a Marvel fan to get that recognition that I thought I, you would have told me a Marvel film would be nominated nominated for a Best Picture. I would say that's a giant. You might as well just I take that as a win. Like you might as well just give me the, you know, even though we don't get the 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 award, might as well just give it to us in, in my head in my heart because that is such an achievement in and of itself that it was given it was it was nominated and it's a Marvel film. It's based off characters that or you know whatever and, and things that from my childhood that I grew up reading is 
insane because I never would have thought a Marvel film ever would be nominated. You know, going back to Spider-Man and to X-Men, I mean, those are great. Those are movies that I love to death, but I never thought they were ever Academy Award winning worthy. And the fact that we've gotten to the point now where the themes and again, these characters transcend the the page of the comics they come from. They, they are, they are social commentary too. And, and that's what art is. Art is, you know, imitates life and whatever, or not imitates life, but you know what I mean? It's inspired by life and, and takes, you know, and themes and messages and things like that. And, and that's important. And I think it's amazing that these characters, these superheroes are transcending that and going through or deeper meaning. And that the Academy is seeing it, that these movies can, and again, they can move us, even though they are aimed at, say, you know, children or children of all ages. So it was a great mood uh, setter or uh, stage setter, I guess, for the year, you could say. Oh, absolutely. Now, I was not at all surprised when Black Panther was nominated because it had been trending that way throughout the award season. And even after I saw the film for the first time, I mean, I've got the receipt. I said that it was going to be Marvel's best and and strongest award contender, and I I thought it would be a contender for Best Picture and get nominated for costume design, production design. Um, And so I wasn't surprised to see it win in those categories. Um, I was a little surprised. I think the the biggest surprise for me as far as award recognition might have been Best Original Score, not because I didn't think it would be nominated, but I thought, and and I I certainly thought that Ludwig Gornson's score deserved to win, but I thought that was going to be the chance where there would be a lot of the nominations were enough and a win or two was sufficient and that wasn't going to and Black Panther wasn't going to end up getting as many Oscars as it did. But the nominations, I I wasn't that surprised by again, including Best Picture, even though there was every reason for if you look at the history of not just Marvel movies, but comic book based movies to not ultimately see this nomination happen. It just felt like Black Panther had that, that it was not only that good of a film, but it also just had that momentum throughout the uh, throughout the award season. But even though it wasn't a, a surprise to me, I, I guess there was still a little bit of uh, a little bit of mild relief when it happened, because there was still just that little bit of nervousness of just knowing the history of these films and, and the recognition that, that many of them have not received over the years. Uh, particularly for the the higher profile uh, categories for for the Oscars, uh, including of course Best Picture, and so I thought maybe there's a chance that the Academy will find a way to screw this up, and Black Panther won't be nominated. But I thought it was going to be, and I of course was thrilled it was going to be. We did a whole episode talking about that and just the the history that that film made again in in the wake of uh, or w- via those Oscar nominations and those eventual Oscar wins, but. Obviously, it's a movie that Marvel Studios is very proud of, and they should be. And I, I can't say this enough that Black Panther absolutely deserved all of the recognition that it received throughout the award season in late 2018 and in early 2019. It deserved every bit of it and even more because uh, it really was an extraordinary film that, as you said, thematically, I mean, it resonates in, in ways that I really didn't expect going into the movie. And and I knew that Ryan Coogler as a director was going to be very ambitious, but just how far he went with it and, and how beautifully he, he achieved his goals in that and the ideas that he was kind of, the, the deeper meanings that he was going with with Black Panther while still delivering a very entertaining superhero movie. It, it's just unbelievable what he was able to pull off and, and the balance that he was able to strike with uh, with Black Panther. It's a very special film. Uh, we're actually coming up, I guess, on the two-year anniversary of Black Panther in February. Uh, not that two years is a, is a long time, but 
it's already it, you can already see it. It hasn't taken long for Black Panther to make a massive impact, and uh, and it did so again to uh, to start this year. So the next big story of 2019, as we move from Black Panther uh, in January and February, we're now getting ready for Captain Marvel. I first saw the film in February, and then it came out on March 8th. And so the film did very, very well at the box office. So if we're looking at the numbers for Captain Marvel this year, uh, it opened domestically at $153.4 million, which was well above uh, even the more ambitious tracking for the film, I think was maybe around 125, 130. Uh, it finished with a domestic total of $426.8 million and a global total of $1.128 billion. Or sorry, so domestic total of $426.8 million, global total of $1.128 billion. So this movie performed extraordinarily well at the box office. I know there are still some out there who try to frame Captain Marvel as anything less than a brilliant success. It, there's just no way to do that. The numbers don't support it. Uh, a cinema score also from audiences and the, uh, the the performance of the film after its opening weekend, the legs that it had at the box office are more than enough to demonstrate that this was not uh, that, that the that the cinema score was, the cinema score was backed up by the subsequent days and, and weeks at the box office for Captain Marvel. And I remember really enjoying this film. We went, to, we did our spoiler review, of course. And this is another example where uh, I, I don't think it's as good of a movie as as Black Panther, but I, I think the the themes of Captain Marvel are are more ambitious, and there's a lot more going on there than I, I I would say even to this day that this film gets credit for. I did my best to explain it in our spoiler review, um, but I, I think there's a lot of really interesting things that come up in uh, in this film. Uh, from everything from, of course, Carol Danvers' journey and, you know, the journey of, uh, the journey of particularly of a, a lot of women, which I think is why a lot of women respond to this, not just because it's female-led, but it's the experience that was shown in there. It's the, the, the female, it's the powerful friendship with Maria Rambo, but it's also the experience of Carol Danvers where she's being told by Jude Law's Jan Rog this whole time of, you know, even though she's, more powerful and more capable than anyone around her she is being held back by people who are telling her that she's too emotional and they're only doing that they're lying to her about that because they know they have to emotionally keep her down because she is their better and so I, that it was a very powerful through line in captain marvel but there are other things that that of course come up with all the talk of uh, you know the way they subverted expectations with the scrolls that everybody thinks of them as villains historically from Marvel comics, and they lean into that at the beginning of the movie, and you have the big reveal that the scrolls are actually refugees in this story. They're not the bad guy, and and so getting to that whole idea of you know it's a very classic comic book, science fiction, just fictional story trope that there would be a group of people who would all be bad. And, of course, that's a very harmful way of, of looking at the world or even looking at the galaxy or the universe. And Captain Marvel shows that in a very beautiful way and how sometimes the the enemies that you think you have are, are people that it's because only because you've been told that those are your enemies, not because you've ever actually thought about them as, uh, I, mean, I know they're scrolls, but as, as fellow human beings, as fellow people, just trying to survive, and people who you have a lot more in common with than you might think. I think there's a lot of beauty in Captain Marvel as this, uh, as this class. It's this classic science fiction allegory type of storytelling, uh, very 
almost Star Trek, almost a little Twilight Zone that gets mixed into Captain Marvel. And I, I, I continue to think this movie is is uh, is underrated, but it certainly didn't underperform. It did uh, incredibly. Yeah, this movie, <clears throat> I, I I liked it way more than I was anticipating. I'm I'm not been the biggest Captain Marvel fan or Miss Marvel fan uh, necessarily, but uh, you know, again, this was the first kind of origin movie I think since Doctor Strange, correct? So. Um, right. Oh wait, wait, no, Black Panther. I'm sorry. Well, you, you can no, you, you, no, Black Panther's not an origin. Yeah, you're film. right. We're not origin film, but this, um, yeah, you know what I mean because he was introduced in what's it called, um, a Civil War. So he kind of had a, or he already was kind of yeah. introduced. Well, and this isn't even about how he became Black Panther. It's right. More of how he becomes king. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Different. Black Panther. I, I think the closest comparison as far as what type of story it is uh, to another Marvel film. It's not the same thing. But I would go back to the first Thor film where Thor is already Thor, but where does that thing start? The coronation, yeah. the idea of Thor becoming king. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, they, they go very, in very different directions from there, but I, I, there's no such thing as a coronation story, as like a genre, <laughs> as like a genre but that's more of what it is. To, those are to me than, yeah. than origin stories. Right, but yeah, but so I, I wouldn't even count Black Panther as far as sol- first solo film, you know, whatever, because it was spun off from the Captain America Civil War. Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel were both there own things and their own kind of universes, if you will, and their own worlds. And you had to kind of build up their worlds from the ground up, if you will. Uh, so that being said, I wasn't a big Doctor Strange fan, which I, I, I like the character a lot in the comics, but just not a big fan of the movie. Captain Marvel's a little bit the opposite. Not a huge Captain Marvel fan. I didn't dislike her her character. I, she's been in the Marvel Universe forever and everything but when it went into her movie kind of it looks it looked good looks good there's some really cool shots for going binary or whatever and going nuts and i really enjoyed it i enjoyed it way more than i was anticipating and i actually really appreciated the fact that it was a little bit different of uh she was a different character than the typical what's you know have tons of humor have her be quirky or not quirky but uh witty and you know not not saying she can't have some of those you know diet some of those dialogue or some of that dialogue but she was not. She was more of a serious character, and I, I remember you know you listen back to the old podcast. I really appreciated that because it was a different. It was not the same kind of idea of a, you know, again not trying to have her be a Tony Stark or whatever. It she was her own character. There's no really other character like Carol in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in my opinion, than than Carol. So the movie I thought did a great job of developing that character and a lot of people kind of took her Brie Larson's performance as, you know, very stale, whatever, but I never did. I always just took her as she was very serious. And again, she was trying to, you know, she, she had suppressed memories and it worked for me. I I didn't see it. I didn't see it again in the theater. I, it, it wasn't, Marvel films that I've gone on record saying because they put out so much a year, it's hard for me to go out and see Marvel films again because they, they come out so quickly. And, you know, and again, and she's not a character I, I, I love, you know, or whatever. But I, I, I did consider going to see it a couple of times when I got it on 4K. I finally watched it again and I really enjoyed it. And, I, and it, again, it's it's one that I'm like, yeah, this is one of the I think the better films of the MCU that I think people, it totally justifies. I can see why people connect to it completely. I mean, the fact that it's a female superhero, we don't have a lot of those in Marvel cinematic universe and she's powerful. Again, there's, there's, it's interesting. It's not perfect. It's got things that I think it's got a little messy in the middle somewhere, but again, 
the subverting of the scrolls was fantastic. Uh, Samuel Jackson was fantastic. I thought Brie Larson did a good job again from the character that they were portraying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, it was a solid. It's it's one of the better I think MCU films. It's not, it's not one of my personal favorites, but it's definitely one I would say is not bad by any means. And I and I think it's probably somewhere. It's not my top ten, but it's definitely in there. Like as after that, and I think it's. And again, I need I need to rewatch it again. Once we get back rolling into the and in the future of the MCU, I'll probably do a giant rewatch of stuff. But her role, obviously, of being the Avengers and whatnot, is is going to be huge. And and we get her in Endgame again. And again, I thought she was handled perfectly perfectly in Endgame. So I thought it was a perfect setup for Endgame with Captain Marvel. Yeah, I think they did a, a terrific job. And and I like what you said about Brie Larson's performance. Now, I mean, some of that is just the natural consequence of the plot of this film. She spends a large portion of the movie thinking that she's Cree, not even knowing exactly who she is. And so we we've only barely met Carol Danvers in this movie because she's meeting herself again. She's getting reacquainted with herself in this movie because who she actually was has been taken from her by the Cree. So she's getting that she's in the process of getting that back in this film. And as far as Brie Larson's performance, yeah, I think people have just become very accustomed to all the quips and, and things like that for, from these characters. And I, I, of course, love that as much as anybody does in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Brie Larson's performance in this film, I think, is great. I think it's one of the better performances throughout the entire MCU. There's so much of it that's, that's so subtle and so nuanced. I mean, there are a couple of moments in particular, like when she and uh, Fury are in the basement of Project Pegasus and she's looking at the file and uh, Fury is also talking about, you know, the the crash that happened six years before. You can see it's right there on Brie Larson's face. You can see everything that the, the wheels are in motion and everything clicking into place for her in this tragic way. She's starting to understand that what she's been told about her life is not true. And she's starting to realize who she actually was, even if she doesn't have that picture 100% filled in. And you can see the way that that's affecting her, and that's all just with in, in her eyes. And then you see that as well when she's on the in that same building, when she's on the phone with Jan Rog and the way things are continuing to, to click for her. And so I, I think there's a, an outstanding performance there. At the same time, Carol in the comics actually does have quips. She is sarcastic. She's funny. She's all these things. And I think you're going to see that there were little glimpses of that in Captain Marvel, a little bit more of that in Avengers Endgame, not so much sarcasm or a quip, but just the whole Hey Peter Parker moment in in Avengers Endgame. That to me is is very much Carol and and how I know her from the source material. And so we're going to see more of Carol being Carol, right? Carol had to rediscover Carol in the first movie. I think in the second one, we're going to see her actually be and, and in subsequent appearances in the MCU, not just in her own solo franchise. We're going to see this character in, in some ways that, of course, will, will look familiar based on the first film, but also in way, expanding, on, expanding on the idea of who this character is. She is a multidimensional, well-rounded character, and so I'm excited to see more and more of her in the MCU. And this was just, I mean, it was, you know, this was a, a great start with this film that allowed us to roll right into Endgame, particularly with the mid credit scene where we see uh, Carol Danvers meet the Avengers for the first time, or at least who's left of the Avengers on Earth in the wake of Thanos' snap. 
I always thought it was super cool that the first person in that room to see Carol Danvers, the first person to turn around and see her there when she says, where's Fury, is Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. I thought that was such a nice touch in that mid credit scene. So getting into Avengers Endgame, we'll talk about the overall impact of the movie, Paul, but let's... Let's go a little Road to Infinity War style here in our podcasting from when we first brought this podcast or we when we revived this podcast a couple of years ago, we did our Road to Infinity War series. Let's talk a little bit about that build up to Avengers Endgame. So we had a teaser trailer in December of 2018. Uh, we ended up getting, of course, uh, another tra- we got a Super Bowl spot. We got another trailer. Uh, but as we were getting into April, and the movie was uh, was getting ready to come out. Tickets went on sale. I remember tickets just being an absolute fiasco because every ticket website, every every website that sells movie tickets, just completely broke down. Paul, what what was? Did you have any trouble getting tickets for Endgame when they went on sale this year? I don't remember. I don't think so. I think I just wanted to make sure I, I solidified the first showing that I could um, of that day. And that was it. Um, I don't remember having the problem like everyone else did, but I'm, but I'm trying to think back if I did or not. Now that I think about it, I think there, it did crash a little bit. But uh, the difference is, you know, again, going through Star Wars, I did. Uh, they always did it in the after, in the evening, whereas the opposite, they did theirs in the morning. So, yep, it, that was kind of weird. I remember it, it took. I, I, now that I remember, it did take a little bit, and I did have some problems. Now that I'm thinking about it, so, but I didn't have any problems getting like a first showing. Um, I, yeah, I think my brother and I, we both, we were able to get you know, the first showing and go in together, and that was, you know, and that was a blast. So, yeah, didn't have didn't have many problems with that necessarily. Yeah, it was a mess that day. I was up and ready to go. I was up, like, I think tickets were supposed to go on sale. I can't remember if it was, like, 5 or 6 a.m. I think it was 6, but I was up at, like, 5, ready to, just in case, because sometimes they, and this happened with Rise of Skywalker, they say tickets are going to go on sale around a certain time, then they go on early, so it's like, screw this. <laughs> like, I'm going to be ready for Avengers Endgame. And then the tickets went on sale, and immediately things were were bad. I couldn't get. I think I was able to grab some tickets uh, really quickly. I think I just I couldn't get the theater I wanted, so I just grabbed tickets to a different theater just to have something. And then uh, when that and then I was. But the main thing I wanted was I, I wanted to see it in in Dolby Cinema, and I was going to go to AMC Burbank, and because that's my preferred Dolby Cinema destination around here, and so. Uh, that's what I really wanted for my opening night showing of Avengers Endgame, and it just it wasn't working. And Fandango didn't work, AMC didn't work, and, and of course, and I think part of the reason a lot of this stuff didn't work is uh, particularly with AMC, which really had problems that day. I mean, that was the first time they did a big ticket launch for. I mean, there's nothing like Avengers Endgame as we found out as far as its box office performance, but that was the first time they had a release anywhere close to that big since they had launched A-List and so many more people were, of course, using AMC to reserve their tickets. And so that was crashing. And then it took me too long to have this idea, you know, this idea, or at least I thought I did. Uh, You know, it, it, it ended up working out okay. But then I was like, you know, online doesn't work, but I can probably go to the theater and get my tickets. And so... But at the time, I realized, that, I mean, this is already a couple hours into tickets being on sale. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like, this is, I'm thinking about this idea way too late, but I've got to try because it's two hours later. I, I still can't get tickets at the theater I want. 
but if I can't access it and it's crashing, nobody else is accessing it online either, so maybe I'll just go to the theater and I'll have a shot. And I remember getting in a lift because I didn't want to drive myself because I didn't want to waste any extra time. I wanted somebody to be able to drop me off so I could run right to the theater and get my tickets. I didn't want to waste time parking or anything. Uh, and also, if I'm taking a lift because I have to go on the freeway to get to get to the theater, if I'm in a lift, then they're driving me and we can use the carpool lane. So I had it all planned out once I made this decision in like five minutes to get this going. So I jump in a lift. The driver gets me right, you know, right up to the curb of the theater. And I run out. And then there's already a massive line for the box office, but there's there's also a line of the kiosk, and the kiosk line looks a little bit shorter. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the kiosk. And then so it, it takes, of course, forever because people are not only buying tickets for one showing, they're buying tickets for however many times they want to see it over the course of that opening weekend, which I don't fault them for because when it was my turn, I did the exact same thing. And so I went to the Thursday night, the, the first showing for the Dolby Cinema at AMC Burbank, and I was relieved to see that there were actually some decent seats left because I had a big group for opening night. So there were a few decent, there were enough decent seats left to be able to accommodate my party. So I was, uh, I thought I was going to, I really thought I was going to be out of luck on that, but that worked out. And then I grabbed some more uh, seats for uh, subsequent showings throughout the weekend. And then I was, uh, and then I was done. But yeah, it was a huge thing to just be able to to go get tickets. And there was a little mini Marvel adventure story for me to get my Avengers Endgame tickets. It was definitely a whatever it takes kind of morning to get those opening night tickets where I wanted to see the movie for uh, for Endgame. So it, it, it and I think that that really was kind of the. I mean, you could say any and all marketing for Avengers Endgame showed in the reaction to it showed how big the movie was going to be. But just the way it, it broke. I mean, we've seen we've seen websites go down because of ticket sales and stuff. They didn't just go down for Endgame. They went down and they stayed down for a long time, for several hours in most of those cases for Avengers Endgame. I even remember going back later that day to see if maybe I could get uh, tickets for the following week. Went back into AMC, and it was by this time it was like the late afternoon, and it was still having issues of being able to, to process ticket sales for Avengers Endgame. So it was definitely having an impact. The demand was overwhelming, as was, of course, proven by the opening weekend. But before we get to the numbers, Paul, uh, besides tickets going on sale, continuing on with the whole Road to Infinity War style here, uh, bring us, take us back to your first viewing of Avengers Endgame. Well, my brother was uh, – the NFL draft was going on at the same time, and we're big NFL fans. So he spent the night, and we were planning on see, you know, seeing it that night on Thursday and then hanging out the rest of the weekend and – and uh, so we were, we had a big kind of day for us planned and we, uh, we went and saw the movie together and we just, it was, it was really cool because my brother and I, we, we grew up reading, he, he was a big reason why I, I loved Marvel because he read the comics. He's six, six years older than I am. So he was reading and, and I, you know, looking at his stuff that he didn't want anymore, or give it to me or whatever. And I kind of inherited a lot of his stuff and he, you know, he got me hooked on a lot of the Marvel stuff that I ended up loving, like the X-Men, mainly the X-Men. He was always really into X-Men and I was mainly into Spider-Man. But, uh, but anyway, so it was really cool. Cause we, we, we grew up loving Marvel and star Wars and we try to see these movies together. We're more star. We're more like kind of kindred to star Wars together than the Marvel, but still Marvel has a connection with us as well. And, and we went and saw um, Endgame together and we just were both just blown away at how good it was. We just, I'll never forget just kind of sitting there going, man, I, they did it. Like they 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 accomplished something that so many people 
what could say, you know, again, it's, it's all subjective, but the fact that, you know, we, it, for me as a person, just, it just blew my expectations away. It exceeded my expectations. It was way better. There's so many surprises in there that I was not expecting because I thought they kind of, they were too scared to do it. Like with Thor, uh, with uh, Captain America grabbing Mjolnir and uh, things like that. I mean, I was not expecting that. And that was a giant surprise. And, and, and hearing, obviously hearing Avengers assemble and just the perfect build of everything that, you know, it, it was emotional. And, and, and that was 100% true. Hearing Captain say Avengers assemble for the first time ever on screen after 10 years and just thinking they weren't and they were ever going to do it because it was silly because it's in theory, it's a silly thing, but they took something so silly and so like, you know, whatever, like just kind of dumb into like one of the most impactful moments in the Marvel cinematic universe history is just, that is brilliant writing and it's clever and it's, it, it will go down as an all time moment for me. I, I always get very emotional. I get like, kind of like choked up when that happens because I'm so invested, not just in the characters in the movie, but the characters I grew up reading. So it's, it's like all those things kind of coming together. It's like, it hits me like a wave and, and it, it, it gives me goosebumps and it's just, you know, it's, it's not easy to conjure those things up, man. And, and, you know, if they're going through things as far as, uh, you know, with, with, with franchises, you don't always agree with, you know, and, and, and whatever it's, you know, I've, I've now, I will accept those moments of goosebumps and emo- being emotional as, as very rare things. And when I say accept them, I mean, I will embrace them and just in, in savor every moment that I still have those feelings when I watch it, because that is a rarity. And for me, when those things happen, I just want to just hold on to them as much as I can. And that, and that movie I thought just did a brilliant job. And it's, it's like, it's a perfect, like a perfect ending to the, the films that we got before it. And I, I never thought, you know, you always think you're going to have a satisfying ending, but to have a perfect ending, it's almost unheard of, at least with my expectations, especially with how Marvel is. Again, we, I said before, they're so, so darn consistent that, when you just kind of take for granted how good they are, the fact they exceeded your expectations, knowing how consistently good they are, it was mind blowing. And again, I talk about not seeing the Marvel films as much in the theaters because of how many times they put out movies and, and whatnot a year. I saw Endgame, I think three times. That was a lot for me. I know you saw it way more than me, but it's you know, Endgame's a long movie. I have to. It's a, it's a it's an outing. You know, I have to plan my whole day around it basically. But <laughs> it uh, is no, it is. But but you know what though? I I saw it three times in the theater, and that, and again I, I I just I you know I love it. it. It's just it is just a powerful powerful movie, and it's a heavy it's a heavy movie, and I think that's one thing. One reason why I don't always you know maybe going to gravitate towards rewatching it is because it's heavy. It's not an easy movie to watch in, in many cases, but it's a brilliant movie, I think, honestly. But it's it's hard to watch. It's it's for a number of different reasons. Long. It's got a lot of emotion. It's emotional. It's it's not always an uplifting. It's it's a it gets you. It's an you you come out with not baggage, but you come out just kind of drained. At least for me, and, and I think it's a good thing because movies should mean something to you when you watch them. And Endgame means something to me. Yeah, it means a whole hell of a lot to me. Avengers Endgame was everything I could have hoped for and then a whole lot more. And, you know, I got to do some cool stuff with this movie in, in the lead up to it. You know, being able to 
you know, I've been very fortunate in that some of the stuff that I've been doing with podcasting and, and writing on the internet has created some, has opened some doors and, and created some opportunities. And, you know, for Endgame, for me, uh, you know, I got to go to, there was a, a press event a couple weeks before the movie came out where the Russo brothers showed us a couple clips of the film. And then we kind of got to talk to him a little bit afterwards. And then, you know, got to go to the press conference for Avengers Endgame, which was really cool because, of course, they did the biggest press conference ever a year before with Avengers Infinity War. And so they had had the big, the big curtain up and then, you know, they dropped the curtain and you see all these stars from this massive cast of Avengers Infinity War. And then what they did for Avengers Endgame is they recreated that setup, except that when they dropped the curtain, they had the same number of chairs, except the chairs that were that were previously occupied by actors who'd been snapped, uh, they were just left empty as a great kind of reminder of, of the effect of Avengers Infinity War. And, and so with Infinity War, Jeff Goldblum moderated that press conference for Endgame. It was Jon Favreau, and that was really a, a perfect choice considering, of course, Jon Favreau helping to get this whole thing going uh, with, uh, with the first Iron Man film. And so all there was just so many great... Uh, experiences there, and then I, I I'm I was very privileged to be able to attend my first viewing of Avengers Endgame was at the world premiere for the film at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Uh, Dolby was kind enough to uh, to invite me, and so I, I went to uh, I went to the premiere. And I had also been able to go to Infinity War the year before. And, and of course, and, and I said it going into those films, if I get to go to the premieres of Infinity War and Endgame, I never have to be invited to, I mean, I never have to be invited anywhere, but I really don't have to be invited or don't need to be invited to anything ever again because it can't get any better than that. And I don't think it will get any better than that premiere of Avengers Endgame. I mean, such a special night. And that's the first time it was screened for you know, anybody outside of the friends and family test screenings that they do or, you know, for obviously the people who worked on the movie had seen it a bazillion times by then. But, you know, that was the first uh, semi-public showing. And it was just it was just incredible. And once I once the movie started, you know, you forget that or I did anyway, you, you just forget that you're at the premiere. You're just watching the movie. And I I just remember being so blown away by it. And I mean, I had already seen a couple of clips that they showed us a couple of weeks before, but really not much. I mean, we watched Tony playing paper football with Nebula, uh, which by I mean, I, I couldn't believe that even a, a scene like that is in a Marvel movie. I'm watching Tony Stark play paper football with Nebula. Like, how is that even happening? And it actually ends up being this really emotional scene that shows about Nebula, like the way Karen Gillan reacts when she wins, that when Tony congratulates her on a victory because Nebula doesn't win a whole lot in her life. But I, I mean, you can hear me go through every scene and, and how much I loved it or how much we all loved it because John Beardley joined us for a four-hour spoiler review of, of Avengers Endgame. But it was just the most remarkable and the most special cinematic experience of my life was watching Avengers Endgame. But I, I think it got even better than, than being at the premiere because the premiere was awesome. Don't get me wrong. like It was unbelievable to watch the movie, be completely blown away by it, and then you know, go to the after party for the movie and just everybody buzzing and, and celebrating it and everybody just being so happy that it not only met our expectations but exceeded them. I mean, I, I've never had expectations as high as I had for Avengers Endgame. They were beyond stratospheric, and yet it was able to uh, still reach beyond every single one of them. And then you know, I watched the movie again. Part I, I ended up watching the movie 11 times in the theater 
first at the premiere. Second was actually uh, not that long after. I think the premiere ended around 10 that night. By 9 a.m. the next morning, I was there for my press screening. So that was uh, showing number two for me for Endgame. Uh, The opening night showing was my third time watching the film. But it might be my favorite time watching the film because that was where I got to be. I was in a Dolby Cinema in Burbank, as I said, where I got my tickets. And then when you're there with the Marvel faithful and you're there with your friends and your family and everybody you're watching the movie with, but your your extended family of Marvel fans all here to watch this movie. And, And it's something that we've all built to. It's a journey that we've all been on together. Even though we were in different theaters as we were making our way up to it, or whenever you came into the MCU, not everybody uh, caught these movies right from Iron Man. Some people got in later uh, with other films, and then uh, you know, of course, played catch up. But whenever you got into it, you know, I think most people have gotten this caught up and and ready to go for Avengers Endgame. And I've just I've never heard anything like it. I've never heard. I mean. The emotional reactions during uh, during the premiere and the press screening were very, very strong, just probably as strong as, as opening night, but maybe opening night was just a little just a little something extra. It was amazing to be part of that community, to be part of that shared experience. And, and I've just I've never seen, heard, or felt anything even close to that. I mean, there have been plenty of movies that have come out. Plenty of Marvel movies, plenty of other movies that have come out and gotten a bunch of cheers, and people are into it the whole way. But Endgame was just on another level, and that continued for a while. Not just opening night, but I saw it again Friday morning. I saw it again, I think, on Saturday or Sunday. Like I, I saw it a few times throughout the opening weekend, and then just and it just the the crowd reactions just kept getting. You know, they, they were they were still just as big, whether that was for people like me who were seeing it. Uh, multiple times already or still people who were uh, were seeing it for the first time but the way the crowd would react I mean Cap catching Mjolnir Avengers Assemble and plenty of other moments throughout the film just when people saw the words New York 2012 when they start going back in time for the time heist everybody knowing that's Avengers and this is the space that we're back in the Hail Hydra moment I mean so many incredible moments and the crowd was with there every step of the way but the crowd was there not just because, oh, they're big Marvel fans and they like anything that's Marvel. It's because of how well the stories had been constructed going into Endgame and then how beautifully Endgame uh, was presented. And it did so many things that you wouldn't do. Until you get to the final battle, there's not, that, there's not really a whole lot of action beats in Avengers Endgame. There's a, a brief little fight with Thanos. That's it. But then you get... It's just all dark and sad and emotional as they as these heroes have to live with their failure uh, for five years or when we catch up to them five years later. And we live in that space for a long time in this movie before there's anything even resembling hope when Scott actually tells them about the quantum realm and, and time travel even becomes is even introduced to them as a possibility. And then throughout the time heist, not a lot of action beats in the time heist, you get a, a brief little Cap versus Cap fight. You do get a, a brief little Natasha versus Clint fight on Vormir to see who's going to win the right to sacrifice themselves. But, of course, at that point, it's not about the action. It's about the emotion of these characters, these best friends fighting each other to be the one who actually dies. And, and so they don't let their friend die. So you have these heavy emotional things for a long, long time before we get to the big battle. And... In so many ways, Endgame is the antithesis of how superhero movies are supposed to be paced and how Marvel, a lot of Marvel movies have historically been paced. 
and yet it works not just as well, but I think better than than any film Marvel has ever produced. And it's just it's extraordinary. It, it is unbelievable. It is an experience that uh, it is a film and an experience that I, I will never ever forget. Um, it was just it, it was incredibly special, and and obviously it made a it made boatloads of money. And just to throw out the numbers. $357.1 million for its domestic opening weekend. That's a record by over $100 million. Uh, global opening, $1.2 billion. Uh, domestic total, $858.4 million. Global total, $2.798 billion, the highest grossing film of all time. And the best part to me is that when you look at those records and you look at all that money that it brought in, the best part to me since... Some of that money is money that I spent. None of it is money that ever comes back to me. So the best part of that is I can at least say that Marvel Studios earned every penny. The Russo brothers, uh, the screenwriters, Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, that cast, everybody who had anything to do with the making of Avengers Endgame, uh, they earned those results uh, that you see. And, and I think that was the audience going to see the movie over and over again because they, they loved it so much. You don't get those numbers from people seeing the movie one time and you don't get those movie and you don't get those numbers from just the diehard Marvel fans seeing the movie three or four times. You get those from general audience members going back and seeing it two, three, maybe even in some cases four times. People loved Avengers Endgame and, and deservedly so. I mean it is I, I think there's no doubt in my mind, I mean I, I don't think Endgame so far in this award season it, it doesn't have anywhere near the momentum that Black Panther had, so I'm not really expecting a lot in terms of nominations. But uh, it's it's certainly no less deserving than Black Panther, but regardless of, of what happens with awards nominations for Avengers Endgame, there's no doubt in my mind that it was the movie of the year. Yeah, I, I, I there's no doubt the movie was the movie of the year. I, I have no arguments there. I mean, there's... Like I said, it, 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 it totally cemented itself with a 22 movie or whatever, how many movies it was before it build up. And the fact that you know, 10 years, you know, is a long time that, you know, that go over, you know, but to me, what's more impressive is the fact that it, it totally closes the book on, you know, 20 plus movies. And that's really impressive of itself. And I think that to me is what comes makes Endgame such an impressive movie. Yeah, it may, it, may, it has the all-time record holder. That's amazing that we were wrong. But to me, for me personally, it's the fact that it can it takes you can watch 20, you know, 20 plus films and then watch Endgame and it's a satisfying ending. And it's just wow. It's it's incredible. It is definitely the movie of the year. There's no doubt. There's I mean, there's yep. there's, there's no argument. It is the movie of yeah. the year. And yeah, there this is the one that people will this is the one that people will remember. I mean, everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna remember where they saw Endgame, how many times they saw Endgame, and, and what it felt like to be in those theaters when uh, when that movie was playing. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and again, there's like how I, I kind of said before, nothing ever ends, and it's it's an it's an ending, but it's also a beginning. So that's what's really crazy. And and the and honestly, the, I, I thought the movie did a great job of of doing that. It doesn't say yeah. it's over. We're all moving on. No, no, no. It's just it's just setting things up. And I thought the setups were brilliant. And I can't wait for those setups to be paid off too. Yeah. No. It ended a saga, but it didn't end the universe. And now the Infinity Saga kept going on for one more film. Even uh, Endgame was film number twenty-two. Film number twenty-three 
is Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, that movie originally was going to come out on, I think, July 5th, and then they moved it up to a Tuesday, July 2nd, or late Monday night, July 1st, depending on when you uh, initially saw the film. So... Spider-Man Far From Home was a little bit of, it was in this weird position, and we talked about it you know, quite a bit, and we knew that this was going to be a thing, because you had Spider-Man Far From Home coming out after Endgame, but that would, because Spider-Man, of course, turned to dust in Infinity War, that was going to inevitably affect the marketing for Far From Home, and we, we saw that. We got the first uh, trailer in January, and then we got the next trailer after Avengers Endgame, and why did they wait? Because they wanted to show what the real jumping-off point was going to be for that story, and that was that Tony Stark, Iron Man, Peter Parker's mentor and father figure, or one of his father figures, yes, Uncle Ben was in here too, even though we didn't see him in the MCU, um, but Tony Stark had, had died. Peter had lost uh, had lost Tony. The world had lost Tony, and so that needed to, to factor into the far-from-home marketing, and we saw that once the uh, once the far from home the second far from home trailer came out but in the lead up to the movie um it, it was i of course was very excited about it because i wanted to, i mean of course love tom holland as spider-man really love what john watts did with spider-man homecoming in 2017 and then you had jake gyllenhaal playing mysterio and as i've said before when we found out that marvel was going to be marvel studios was going to be producing spider-man solo films for sony you know, my top two villains that I wanted were Craven and Mysterio. Still waiting on Craven, but I was uh, no less excited to have Mysterio uh, be the villain in the second one, especially when he was played by uh, by going to be played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And of course, all the marketing focused on Mysterio as a hero. But anybody who knows anything about Spider-Man villains, particularly Mysterio, was uh, anticipating some sort of swerve there. It was just a matter of how it was going to be done, but. Yeah, the lead-up to Far From Home, it was a little bit different because the movie was released on a Tuesday as part of a holiday week because, of course, we have July 4th here in the States. So it, it was a, a little bit different. That definitely uh, kind of skews the the opening weekend. The, the opening weekend numbers, the first Friday, Saturday, Sunday, was only $92.6 million. But again, that's because a lot of people already saw it uh, a few days before that opening weekend uh, ever even started. Finished with $390.5 million domestic and a global total of $1.132 billion dollars. But I really like Spider-Man Far From Home. As I've gone on to watch the film more and, you know, of course, watching it multiple times in theaters and then going back and, and watching it when it came out on, on 4K earlier this year, uh, a couple of months ago. When I initially saw it, I was trying to decide, do I like this as much as Spider-Man Homecoming? I didn't think I did, and it's become more definitive as the as the years gone on that, that Homecoming is just on a diff- on another level for me than Spider-Man Far From Home. But I still really love this movie. It does have some first-act pacing issues for me. But once we get the reveal of Mysterio and who Quentin Beck really is and where he's coming from and what he wants in this movie, that's where it really just hits another level for me. And then just one of my all-time favorite sequences in the MCU is the whole Mysterio sequence in Germany uh, with Peter Parker being kind of trapped in Mysterio's world. That illusion sequence... Everything from zombie Iron Man to a Mysterio head snow globe to every, every fishbowl snow globe, like everything about that is so Mysterio, so Spider-Man, so comic booky. And I remember when I watched it for the first time at a press screening, when that sequence started, I was just thinking, oh man, Paul's going to love this. And, and you would be right. Um, the Far From Home, I, or yeah, yeah, Far From Home is... 
I liked it a lot. Um, I saw it twice and I'll be honest, I have not revisit revisited it yet on 4k and it's mainly, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm with you, Sean. I, I think, I think, uh, homecoming is, it's just such a better paced, just kind of all around movie. Um, I think the villain's great Well, in homecoming and homecoming for me. It's probably the same for you. Like homecoming, like, it's not just I, I enjoy it just as much. It gets better for me with each rewatch. Right. Like no, Homecoming, yeah. I keep watching. I'm like, I, I I thought I liked this movie a lot, but clearly I didn't give it enough. I still haven't given it enough credit. No, I think that's a great way of putting it. I think it definitely. I've, I've loved it. From, I loved it since I saw it, and I've. But it definitely has gotten better, and it's it's, it's age well is not the, really the right word, but it, it feels like that. It just it really feels fresh for a Spider Man movie. And yet, it feels very Spider-Man in my opinion. Even though a lot of hardcore Spider-Man fans, you know, argue that, but I do. I, I love it. And so, with Far From Home, it, it it's just a little bit too. The pacing is kind of wonky, and it's because it tries to be, you know, European vacation, you know, essentially from uh, the old comedy, and and that doesn't always work for me. And but I do love Jake Gyllenhaal as as Mysterio. It took a little bit of getting used to. That second viewing definitely helped me uh, get over uh, a little bit with that character, and but that being said, yeah, I think the, I think the movie's good, and I, I need to rewatch it again uh, on 4K. I just have not really had the chance, and I, and I it also came, I think, it came around the same time that everything came out at once. So I think I got uh, Endgame. Didn't Endgame and Far From Home come out at the same time? If I'm not mistaken, or am I thinking of the other 4Ks that came out? The, like basically that, and a bunch of other Marvel 4Ks came out at the same time, and so yeah, when Far From Home came out, I, I think that was when I want to say like Doctor Strange and Ant Man also came out. That's right. So I had a lot. Yeah, of- it was when it was like the last couple individual 4Ks that they hadn't released yet. Came right, out when right. Far From Home did. Yeah. So basically, I was like, man, this is like really hard because I'm I'm trying to like you know want to watch all these movies again because I want to see Ant Man in 4K and. I'm like ah, and it got you know it's one of those things one of those things where I got so many 4Ks I didn't know which one to start and I just kind of got busy and then I just kind of forgot. And I'm trying. There's something else that came out. I, that's what happened. It wasn't just that. It was that plus Force Friday. The Star Wars stuff just came out. So it was like it was double triple whammy for me. I just I had so much going on. I'm like oh my gosh. So I had like it just I had a lot going on and with all those films and I think I want I think I was trying to watch Endgame in 4K it's just like I said it's a it's a it's a lot so I need to rewatch it I was I was actually just telling my wife that I'm like I need to rewatch that Spider-Man movie uh I haven't rewatched it yet so but yeah I, I plan on rewatching it maybe I'll I'll go on and, and go on the Discord and kind of a little little, little private uh live Discord chat about it or something like that but yeah it's a uh, it's it's a good movie. I, I I like it. I don't think it's bad by any means. I like all the performances for the most part. It's just not. It, I just think it's just, it's just not as tight as Homecoming. No, it definitely isn't. Uh, but I, I think the the overall movie is not as good as Homecoming. But I I think some of the highs are are just as good as some of the other highs in, in Homecoming. There's there's nothing as good as you know Michael Keaton and Tom Holland before like the Homecoming dance. You know that 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 sequence that scene between the two of those characters. I don't know if there's anything quite that good in Far From Home, uh, but there's a, a lot of great stuff, and that includes, I think, like two of the best mid slash post credit scenes we've ever had. I mean, from J.K. Simmons coming back as J. Jonah Jameson, outing Peter Parker as Spider Man to the world via Mysterio, and then you have the post credit scene 
where it's revealed that Nick Fury in this movie has been Talos all along. And so now, and where's the real Nick Fury? He's out in space on this massive ship with scrolls all around him. What exactly is Nick Fury doing there? That's still something that we've got to find out in uh, in Phase 4. But that was what I, I really loved about it is, I mean, it it shook up the status quo kind of to its, you know, to a lot of its foundations with, we've never really dealt with that in the MCU or in any Spider-Man film is the world finding out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and now that's here. And then of course that's more, I mean, that's directly for Spider-Man in the next film. And then from the broader MCU perspective is is where you get that is where that post-credit scene with Nick Fury comes into it. It, It's just, those were so fantastic and, and so exciting and such a great way to kind of, I mean, Spider-Man: Far From Home really was kind of that epilogue to, uh, you know, it was the grieving process. Like we were grieving for the loss of Tony Stark, as Peter Parker was, as Happy Hogan was, and so then to to start to transition into a new era, we we get the mid and post credit scene that's all about uh, what ne- uh, what's next, and so that's really what we're going to be focusing on now. Is you know, is is what's next? The first half of the year, or a little bit more than the first half of the year going into early July was all about closing out the infinity saga and Marvel studios, of course, as you've heard us say, did an unbelievable job with that. And then it was finally time to find out what's next, what's going to happen. Now there's a lot of things that we already kind of knew about in, in different ways. We are a, a black widow movie was already in production at that point. Uh, we knew eternals was coming. So there were some things we knew but there were still some surprises for us. So, our, of course, our, our big announcement, we continue on in July. We get to Hall H and uh, on, and at San Diego Comic-Con. It's the Saturday of San Diego Comic-Con. And I got to be, again, fortunate enough to be in the room for that presentation. And so Kevin Feige came out there. He, of course, always the master of ceremonies at these things for, for Marvel Studios and, and Hall H at Comic-Con. And he announced the Phase 4 slate. And he announced he went in chronological order, except he skipped Black Widow. He saved that for last because that was the one that he knew they could show footage from. But he announced the Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. So, of course, we already know what that is. It's in production now. You have Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan playing Sam Wilson slash Bucky Barnes. Uh, he and Kevin Feige officially announced the Eternals with Chloe Zhao directing, and then that unbelievable cast. I mean, Salma Hayek, uh, Angelina Jolie, Kumail Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry. Like you have so you have such an Richard Madden, such an incredible cast for the Eternals, and that film is in production now. And they showed the first ever footage earlier this month at Comic Con Experience in Brazil, um, and that was just uh, and that's 2020, and then in 2021. In February, you're, we're going to get Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, and starring, who was, who officially got the role just a few days before Comic-Con, Simu Liu is going, to be playing, uh, is going to be playing Shang-Chi. And he's best known for the comedy series Kim's Convenience. And if you haven't seen Kim's Convenience, it's a show that, that airs in Canada originally, but Netflix has it. The first three seasons of Kim's Convenience are on Netflix, and I highly recommend you watch them because you'll see how funny and charismatic and engaging Simu Liu is as an actor, but also the show is really, really funny. Uh, I've absolutely loved watching that show on Netflix, and you should uh, certainly check it out. And then in the spring of 2021, we're going to get WandaVision, we're going to get Loki, and it was confirmed at Comic-Con 
that it was going to be the Loki who escaped with the Tesseract in Avengers Endgame. And then we're going to get, in May of 2021, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Scott Derrickson is back to direct. And Kevin Feige to show that these Disney Plus series are going to be interacting with the movies in a very real and much more meaningful way than any other Marvel small screen series ever have, uh, because now these are being made by Marvel Studios. Wanda Maximoff is going to go right from uh, uh, WandaVision into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, or Wanda Maximoff slash the Scarlet Witch, because we're supposed to learn in WandaVision exactly why she is the Scarlet Witch and actually hear that name. Uh, Loki, we subsequently found out, not during Comic-Con, but will also factor into... um, uh, that will also factor into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're going to get the What If animated series on Disney+. Plus. That's going to be in the summer of 2021. It's not the uh, it's not canon with the MCU, but of course it plays with the canon of the MCU. By now you know there's going to be the story of, of Peggy Carter being Captain Carter. She gets the super soldier serum, whereas we're going to, where once we have uh, Peggy Carter getting the super soldier serum, Steve will actually have an iron suit that was, of course, made by Howard Stark. So we get that. We saw uh, clips uh, subsequently of T'Challa being Star-Lord, so we're going to get What If. And then in the or in the fall of 2021, we're going to get a Hawkeye series, of course, starring Jeremy Renner. But then it will also include uh, not just Jeremy Renner, but it will include Kate, or as Clint Barton, but also include Kate Bishop. So we're going to get a new Hawkeye in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, And then we got what we thought was going to be the biggest surprise of Comic-Con. So Kevin Feige announced Thor Love and Thunder. Now, there had already been a report a few days before that Taika Waititi was was indeed going to be back. And so there was some hint going into Comic-Con that we were going to get uh, an official announcement for the next Thor film and that Taika would be back. But the big surprise is that when Taika came out on stage, he said we were going to see a female Thor. We were going to see the mighty Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And of course he brought on, brought out on stage, Natalie Portman, who of course played Jane Foster in Thor and Thor of the Dark World. Jane Foster, of course, became Thor, became the mighty Thor in Marvel comics in, in recent years. But it was such a huge shock to see Natalie Portman back there because it had just been a thing that many of us had, had assumed and thought over the years that, that Natalie Portman was just done with Marvel Studios, done with the MCU, wasn't going to be participating anymore. But now here she is, she's back, and she is indeed going to be the mighty Thor in Thor Love and Thunder. And that's something that we've, you know, since speculated about, knowing the history of that character with the comics. It certainly sets sets things up to be very, uh, very emotional with the story of Jane Foster that could be a, a big factor in Thor Love and Thunder from her battles with cancer to, of course, her journey as a superhero. There's so many extraordinary, beautiful things about that that hopefully will uh, will factor into this. And so that was a, a shocking announce. That was that was all shocking and enough. And Kevin Feige announced more than enough at uh, at San Diego Comic Con in Hall H. And then even though he didn't have formal specific announcements for them, he of course teased other upcoming things. He teased a, a, a Black Panther sequel. He teased a Captain Marvel sequel. He acknowledged, of course, that the Fantastic Four could be coming in the MCU. And then he also talked about mutants being on the way in the MCU. That was all the buzz. That was all the excitement that anybody could have needed. And then there's one more thing. 
Kevin Feige introduces two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali, who comes out on the stage, and then he puts on his hat, and they flash the title card, and the lights go out. They put on the, they flash the title card, and it's Blade. And I just was losing my mind. I mean, I, being in the audience for that, I had been losing my mind, of course, throughout this presentation and, and screaming and shouting like everybody was. But then you get that announcement of Mahershala Ali as Blade. It was just unbelievable. I mean, you go back to our Hall 8 show, I, I likened it to, you know, when it's like a, an NFL or NBA draft where you have this top draft pick and the commissioner comes out and they shake their hands and they put on the hat of the new team. And that's what Mahershala Ali did with his blade hat. It was just incredible. Uh, just unbelievable with the way they closed that out. But you know what? I actually skipped something. Before Kevin Feige made those teases, I forgot after he announced um, Thor Love and Thunder, he did circle back to Black Widow in 2020, and that's where we saw the first that they had the cast out. Well, the cast wasn't there, or no, the cast was there for that, and that, but they weren't at D23 later. So you have the cast uh, show up. You have Scarlett Johansson, Kate Shortland, of course, is directing this film, David Harbour, uh, Florence Pugh. So you have the cast showing up, and maybe I'm misremembering who all was there, but and they showed us the first ever footage from Black Widow, and I was just completely blown away by it, by just how raw and visceral the action was, which now. Many of you, you all would have seen at least some of that if you weren't at Comic-Con or D23, the fight scene between Natasha and Yelena. They showed a lot more of it at Comic-Con, and it's uh, it's even better than it looks in, in that trailer. And so uh, Black Widow was, was looking really great. And then, yeah, closing everything out with Mahershala Ali, it was just uh, unbelievable and, and such a treat to have been in that room. I've been... I've been in a few Marvel Studios Hall H panels. I haven't been in all of them, but I've been in a few, and there have been some really great ones. I mean, go back to 2016 when Brie Larson was formally introduced as Captain Marvel, but that Mahershala Ali come out as Blade. I mean, it felt like that Brie Larson moment, but it also felt, in some ways, it felt bigger just because of the overall panel and talking so much about the future of the MCU. The 2016 panel was great, but it was mainly focusing on the you know focusing on the projects that were coming in 2017 uh the you know the following year with uh well i guess that would have been guardians yeah guardians 2 homecoming and then uh of course thor ragnarok so to be able to get you know such a big panel uh you know so much about the future of the mcu and we've been we've been waiting of course so long to get any announcements beyond phase three and we got i, I think even though some of those things were, were things we knew about we we found out additional pieces to all of the to every single project that we already thought we knew something about, and then the the biggest shock of all, Mahershala Ali as Blade. It was just really really awesome. It was an, it was an incredible set of announcements from Marvel Studios that day. Yeah, the, the San Diego Comic Con stuff is is really really crazy, and I think that what I'm excited about again, I talked about endings. There's new beginnings now. We have She Hulk, Miss Marvel. We have Blade coming, and it's and and my favorite character, one of my favorite characters anyway, uh, Moon Knight. So, there, where Marvel Studios is going is, is is not the same things, and that's how you that's how you grow. And 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 I think that there again, it remains to be seen if it's going to be successful or not. They have only shown what I've said before, consistency. But the characters that they're going to be introducing in all these different properties that are coming out, like, you know, besides the, the familiar things like winter soldier and uh, Falcon and winter soldier and all that jazz, th- there's a lot of new things coming. And I'm very curious if it's going to hit with everyone the same ways as, as what came before. I, there's, a, there's nothing that leads me to think that it won't, 
but you just never know, right? So, but I, I got to say this, they're not playing it safe. They're not just rebooting Captain America completely and having a new Iron Man, which would be very easy, by the way. A, a lazier company would probably just put someone else in the armor, you know? And I think with Captain America, it's a lot more of a, more of a powerful symbol, I think. And that's why it justifies, I think, someone else using, you know, taking the mantle, if you will. Especially with the way Steve kind of, you know, you saw Steve basically give that mantle to somebody else. It was a really beautiful moment. So, again, that's more of a payoff. But, again, the laziest way would be just to reboot everyone in their costumes and just call them, you know, whatever. And, uh, again, in in comics that happens. And I think, again, it's it's never ending. So it's different. But movies, it's you know, you have to earn the stuff. And you've got to be careful of what you do. And and it's not always going to hit. And it's like in the comics, it's not always going to hit. So... But yeah, I think everything's really exciting. It's all it's all very different, and it's all kinds of different kind of tones, especially with from She Hulk, Miss Marvel to Moon Knight uh, to to Eternals to uh, Black Widow. It's all over the place. Shang Chi, I mean Blade. It's all over the place. So they're not resting on one style or of storytelling. They're going different directions, and it's really exciting. I think that's what that's what made me really happy about. The Comic-Con announcement is that it's so exciting to see what we're going to get from all of that uh, coming up in the future. Yeah, my favorite part about it, and this would go to the D23 stuff as well with the Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk announcements. I mean, the the thing that's most exciting about it to me is I, I don't know how it – what it, I don't really know what it's going to look like. I don't really know how it's all coming together, but I, I like that. I, I think it's great to be back in this space with Marvel Studios again because – uh, it's not certainly not to suggest that we all knew what was going to happen in phase three. We didn't, of course we didn't. There were plenty of things that shocked us along the way in phase three, but we still kind of had this, you know, not, not in the way that Marvel studios does, but we had this loose outline in our, in our heads, right? I mean, we, we, at le- we at least knew, we don't know how we're doing this. We don't know how we're going to get there, but we are building to an infinity gauntlet storyline of the Avengers versus Thanos. What exactly that means and how that's all going to be resolved, that's what we had to see the movies to figure out. But at least we had that much. You know, the canvas wasn't completely blank. It wasn't entirely filled in, but we had an outline there, a little bit. We don't have an outline anymore. Like, we don't know where any of this is going. We don't know, although Kevin Feige did say, like, there is a master plan that's already underway. He said this at CCXP of, like, building towards the next saga and we don't know what that is. We don't know how all of this is supposed to fit together. But all of these projects individually sound very, very different, not only from one another, but from things we've seen in the past. I mean, you look at WandaVision, when they talk about classic sitcom slash MCU epic, what the hell does that even mean? I mean, that's not a combination that you normally think of. And now that's what's happening. And I mean, to the point where at D23, I mean, they were showing footage from the old Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, there was an image that got released at CCXP. It's it's Wanda and Vision sitting right there on the couch in black and white, like truly being presented like a classic sitcom. I mean, it's just it's amazing how all of this is. And what's so exciting about it is to be back in this state of of not knowing, almost like when the MCU began all those years ago. Like, we don't know how all this is going to come together. We, I mean, we know that there's a universe and all these things are connected, but what does that mean? You know, we had to go on to, to figure that out. And I think we're kind of back in that process. It, it does feel like a, very much like a new beginning in that, in that way, even from our experience as fans trying to speculate and, and put these things together. And that, of course, is, is really, really exciting. And, and I absolutely love that. And all of these projects... I think sound sound really great, sound really fun. We will have to, of course, wait and see how they all turn out. But I'm excited about each and every one of them. 
So uh, I know we, we've, we've mentioned D23 a little bit. There was actually something that happened before D23 that was uh, a very big story. So on Tuesday, August 20th, I think that was a Tuesday. Um, so on August 20th, I was going to a screening of The Matrix being presented in Dolby Cinema, and I was very excited about that. And then as I sat down to watch the movie, or as I was waiting for the movie to start, I see the article on Deadline of... I see this article, and it says that negotiations are have broken down and are off between you know Disney slash Marvel Studios and Sony for sharing Spider-Man. And, I mean, this is a massive, massive story, and here I am at the screening, and so I'm having to shut my phone off, watch the screening, and then go, and then, of course, get back to, uh, get back to this news. And, you know, I was completely, uh, completely shocked by it, although I guess maybe not. But I, I don't want to get into the Spider-Man stuff because we know, of course, it was resolved. So we'll, we'll save the whole Spider-Man thing for after D23. Uh, D23, from a Marvel Studios perspective, was maybe not as big as some expected or, or thought that it could be because there was some there was a lot of speculation that that Marvel Studios since they still had they announced everything through 2021 at Comic-Con and then people thought well they still have some release dates in 2022 maybe they'll go ahead and they will and they'll fill those in now that of course did not happen well they filled in one of those dates they confirmed that Black Panther 2 uh, Brian Coogler was there, but they didn't have a title for the movie or anything like that, just confirming Black Panther 2, uh, the unofficial title, coming out in, I think it's May 6th of 2022. That's what we had from movies, so we didn't get as many movie announcements as some thought that we might get, but we got more Disney Plus announcements than we expected, because Marvel Studios wasn't even officially announced ahead of time for the Disney Plus panel, but Feige was there, and of course he talked about all the projects that we knew about from 2020 and 2021, Falcon and Winter Soldier through Hawkeye, and then he added in uh, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and then She-Hulk. And of course I, w- I was there for that presentation. I was there for the movie presentation the next day when they announced the Black Panther stuff. But I was just, you know, my mind was blown. I mean, the Miss Marvel thing, I'm a little bit bummed because the Miss Marvel thing got scooped uh, about maybe a half hour to an hour before the panel started. So I already knew about that uh, news, and it was just a matter of getting the confirmation. But it was still really exciting to get the confirmation. Uh, but nobody had scooped Moon Knight or She-Hulk. And so I was just completely floored by those announcements. And then, you know, the the Marvel fan you know ideas, they just start flowing. And you say, well, wait a minute, Moon Knight... Blade's getting a movie. Oh, we're headed towards some other stuff here, aren't we? And we still don't know what the answers to that, but we know that we've we've got these characters coming to the MCU in the in the somewhat near future. And so that was just really exciting. I thought D23 was very exciting from a Marvel Studios perspective because it it gives us uh, something we weren't necessarily anticipating just yet for Disney Plus. If you look at all the series that were announced at Comic-Con, these are mainly series that are starring characters we've already met in the MCU. Even though, I mean, obviously Kate Bishop is not somebody we've met yet, but the Hawkeye series obviously starring Clint Barton, we know who that is in the MCU, we know who Wanda and Vision are. Of course, we can learn, and we will, I, I would imagine, a lot more about these characters through their, their shows because that's the way it works, but these are characters we've never met before in the MCU, and maybe we'll meet him somewhere else in a movie before we see him on Disney+, Plus. I don't know, but uh, it sounds like Feige has said it looks like Miss Marvel, where we're going to meet her first, is her show 
So we're going to meet Kamala Khan and we're going to meet Mark Spector and Moon Knight and then Jennifer Walters for She-Hulk. And I just love that anything goes on Disney Plus. I mean, it can be a spinoff of things that have already existed, but it can also be a, a brand new start for characters that we've never met. And so in that way, I think what was revealed in Disney Plus, not just the excitement of those specific characters, but just the general idea of what those series could be, I think was expanded. Uh, via D23 Expo. So that was really cool. But one other moment at D23 Expo, getting back to the Spider-Man situation, is Tom Holland was there during the studio's presentation, the movie presentation on Saturday morning. And, of course, this was just you know days after the news had broke that Spider-Man was going to be leaving the MCU. And he just said, paraphrasing, but you know, I know it's going to be... I know it's been a crazy week, but he told the crowd, I, I love you 3,000. And then later on that day, in interviews with Entertainment Weekly, both Feige and Tom Holland were basically talking like this is something that was done and they had accepted it and everybody was moving on. Uh, But not everybody was moving on, even though there had been reports in the weeks that followed that the door had been closed for now. Even Sony executives have been saying that, that the the negotiations were done, that that wasn't going to happen. And then on Friday, September 27th, we found out that it was back on. Spider-Man was going to be staying in the MCU, and we were going to be getting a third Spider-Man solo film in July of 2021, which means that we now have four Marvel movies in 2021 between Shang-Chi, Doctor, uh, Shang-Chi in February, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness in May, Spider-Man 3 in July, and then Thor Love and Thunder in November of that year. So we got plenty of Marvel in 2021. And then, you know, the story and the legend of Spider-Man saying in the MCU has only grown since we found out about it back on September 27th. We found out about Tom Holland wanting Bob wanting to reach out to Bob Iger, and he did via email, and then they got they had a phone call. Tom Holland may or may not have been buzzed or just flat-out drunk when that phone call happened. Um, not that that was the, the deciding factor in uh, certainly not him being drunk, but the, the conversation between... Uh, Tom Holland and Bob Iger may not have been the deciding factor, but it certainly didn't hurt. And, you know, it certainly showed Bob Iger how much Tom Holland cared about Spider-Man and the fans and whatever it was. It all, I I think ultimately Sony felt the pressure of, you know, fans not really digging it. And and Sony, a lot of people blame Sony for the fallout of that. You can go back to the shows and you can get my assessments on it. I don't really know that there was a villain. It was just two companies negotiating and, and they're each of them negotiating in their own best interest. So it was what it was. But I was glad it was it was uh, it was resolved because it was really it was really scary to think or, or not really scary sad to think that that amazing mid credit scene in Spider Man Far From Home with J Jonah Jameson and Spider Man being outed obviously a Sony produced movie would have picked up from that but it couldn't be exactly the same as what Marvel Studios would do because they're different people and Marvel Studios is better at making these movies um, but also there'd be certain things with MCU connections that couldn't be part of it anymore. So it was uh, I know it was it was a lot of drama and caused a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, but all's well that ends well. And thankfully, uh, Sp- 2019 doesn't have to be the year that Spider-Man exited the MCU. It was the one thing that could have been the black mark on this year. <laughs> that you have all these other incredible things. And then it's also the year that we found out Spider-Man was leaving the MCU. Now, that may still happen one day, but it's not happening in 2019 so uh, we, we still get Spider-Man and we don't have anything that kind of we don't have any asterisk or any. Yeah, but to, to tack on to this year. Yeah, that was a that was a nice surprise that cooler heads prevailed and 
as long as these movies or as long as uh, these um, movies are making money for Sony and they're making a lot of money, like Far From Home did, made a lot, a lot of money, it still behooves them to make movies with Disney and keep Spider-Man in the cinematic universe because they can build off of these films into their own Sony universe. We know Kevin Feige said that he's going to have the superpower of doing two universes and it's just one of those things where it's, it, I'm glad that they kind of listen to the fans and, and it, it makes a lot of sense. It just, you know, you know again, maybe, maybe a few years ago or five, six years ago, this would never happen just because it's unprecedented what, to do this and it's unprecedented in a sense to where after doing something like this already to come back to it and say no no, no we gotta we can make money we can do this ourselves because most studios are too stubborn and too prideful to move on or to, to kind of figure it out for multiple reasons and and money is the ultimate deciding factor for all of this and ultimately ultimately they realize financially it even though they may they may lose a little bit in in partnering with disney they'll make more in the end by helping build their own universe, which again, I think that's what ultimately made them kind of realize. I mean, Tom Holland also being unhappy probably helped a little bit, but let's be real. I think ultimately, I think they were always going to come back and try to figure something out because they want to build their own universe. And in the end, they need Disney and their, and their backing as far as the fan base to really get behind and build their own. If they're going to survive as their own movie universe or as a studio. So, there's a lot riding on this on this deal more than just Spider-Man himself. I think they're trying to try to piggyback, obviously, off all that. So, to me, I, I, I'm not surprised. I just knew Sony. I mean, the fact they were talking in the in the media, it was kind of ridiculous. I'm like, I know what you're doing. It's ridiculous. Just stop, you know. So that yeah. that was irritating, and that to me is what made me think, like, shut up, Sony. You need them more. <laughs> it's like you need them yeah. more than they need you. Let's be real yeah. here. Like, Kevin didn't do all the work. I remember that. That was oh, oh yeah. Oh, we all know how how Sony did on picking up the, the lunch tab and getting out and getting drinks. They are really good at that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's a whole different thing. But yeah, I I'm just glad they figured it out. Yeah, me too. I mean, and I, I don't want to take anything away from Sony. I mean, the idea to out Peter Parker as Spider-Man came from Amy Pascal, who isn't technically a, a Sony employee and wasn't at the time. She, of course, used to run Sony, and then she had been a producer with an overall deal there. Uh, now she's got her overall deal elsewhere, but she's still going to be attached and producer to Spider-Man deal. So it's, it's correct that Kevin didn't do all the work, and he doesn't have all the great ideas, but... He does have a lot of them himself, and he brings the team that supplies most of the rest of them, from the Marvel Studios visual development department to Victoria Alonso, Luis Esposito. I mean, the whole team. Marvel Studios does. Uh, they they obviously bring a lot to the table. They have been more consistent in producing high quality comic book based movies than any studio or any division of any studio in history. Um, so it's not about who does all the work; it's who does the most. A lot of the most important work. Uh, that helps make these things as good as they are. So there's no question that Spider-Man is better off being uh, continued, continuing to be at least under the partially under the supervision of, of Marvel Studios. Uh, it's in everybody's best interest. I'm glad that one way or another that they eventually figured it out. So as I, it was almost the, the the black mark on this year, but it's not because they they got it figured out. And so it was a lot of drama. We had to spend a little more than a month being really nervous about it, but then it all worked out, and Spider-Man is staying for at least a little while longer. We'll see where it goes from there. So the next big story in October was that we found out 
that Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige was going to have a new job title or at least an additional job title as chief creative officer, comma, Marvel. And in the under that new title, uh, what that also means is an expanded set of responsibilities. So he continues to be in charge of, of course, Marvel Studios movies. Uh, he, of course, is in charge of the small screen stuff that Marvel Studios is, is doing on Disney+. Plus. But he also picked up creative responsibility for all small screen Marvel productions, including Marvel Television, which is mostly just being absorbed into Marvel Studios to kind of have one banner. And there's no new development happening under the old structure of Marvel Television. They're just finishing up the things that they have going, as we learned, uh, as we learned a little bit more about earlier this month than I talked about at length in the, the, the very last episode of this podcast before this one. So you can go check that out if you have not already. And so uh, we find out about, oh, and Kevin Feige is also overseeing creative in Marvel publishing, which includes Marvel Comics. And and so the one, when I think about that story, Paul, I mean, a lot of it just already made sense. I mean, obviously, there's nothing that changes as far as movies. Feige was in charge of that, and he'll remain in charge of that. The small screen stuff, I think the writing was already on the wall. That Disney turned to Marvel Studios, not Marvel Television, to create content for Disney+. Plus which makes all the sense in the world based on Marvel Studios' track record compared to Marvel Television. And then we also saw Marvel Television, a lot of what they had been doing was slowing down. I mean, the Netflix stuff was over. You had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming to an end. Subsequently, Runaways has come to an end. Cloak and Dagger has uh, subsequently been canceled. But we just started seeing, I mean, as, as Marvel Television shows were ending... They weren't really being replaced with new shows. And so it just felt like that process was gradually – was just kind of already taking its course to Marvel Studios being in charge of everything on the small screen. What really jumped out to me was Kevin Feige being in charge of comic books because that's just something that's – I mean, yes, he's telling stories on the big screen and now small screen based on these comic books. But he's never really had any oversight on creative for publishing before – so that, I, I think, is a big leap that, of course, we speculated about when we did a whole episode about uh, this Kevin Feige news of what exactly does this mean when, when Kevin Feige is uh, – when when creative, even on comic books, rolls up to him as well. Yeah, that was really surprising. And I think one of the – it's still not being talked about enough as – no, we, he, we, we've heard plenty of fallout on, on TV, but we've heard none from comics. Yeah, and I, and just because I, we all know comics are not, they're not this big money maker. But we had talked about it, and the articles like on Hollywood Reporter or Variety or whatever have really talked about how they view the comics. I mean, they make some money. There's not like a giant money maker. And they, they view these comics as research and development. And it really is a really... High, a really good way to look at comic books in Marvel Comics is is that there's a niche market, yes, there is money to be made there. It's not giant money, but it's money to be made, you know, whatever. But there is a lot that you can do, and if Kevin Feige has that, he can really, to me, creatively, and you talk, you brought up in our prior conversation, it wasn't being recorded for a podcast, Sean, is that some producers have different strengths. And obviously, you know, Kevin Feige has many of them, but the the biggest one is probably creatively. He knows how to structure and tell a story and, and weave things together. Now he can kind of test things out 
in the comic book area and and not have to answer to anyone and say, you know what, I'm going to try this. I'm going to put a little money towards it. We're going to put this and this and this together. And I want to see what you can do and, and see how it does and how people respond to it. Because the comic book fans are, I mean, I've always said this before, it's, it's a niche market, but it is an understanding of if this connects with a small group of people, it probably will connect with a bigger group of people if it's a well-told story. Again, because again, you, you, you these characters are resonate with us for multiple reasons and the costumes, the, the the themes, the the we relate to them, all that stuff. We all that goes into it is when we can identify and connect with the character. And I think that Kevin now can really test things out. Maybe he'll create new characters and say, well, what if we did this? And what if we did that? What if we put Spider-Man in this kind of situation? And what, you know, how does that look? How, how would that be developed or, you know, whatever. There's a lot of different things he can do creatively through the comics first and see where he's going. I'm not saying it will only be what he does with the comics. I think he's going to let people probably have a lot of freedom and tell stories because there'll probably be things that he never even thought of. It's like, Oh yeah, it's a great idea. Let's do that. What's wrong with that. Again, it's for him to kind of put ideas in and also take from and twist around and modify and things like that. And I think that's where I'm really excited is how does he let the comics kind of roam free and how does he, as far as creative wise and how does he, does he control it more or does he let people have more freedom and what kind of stories will we, will we get because of that? We don't know. And that's what's kind of exciting for me because you know, they've always been under a little bit of a tight rein sometimes, or it kind of ebbs and flows as tight rein. Some people have tight rein, some people don't. And what kind of creative stories will we get? Will we get this renaissance of comic book stories now? Because Kevin's in a, maybe he'll allow people to have more freedom or will it be more like the films? We don't, I have no idea. And, and I'm kind of excited to see because I don't think Kevin's dumb enough to, to rein things in and do whatever he wants. I think he, he's shown anything, but He'd like to take all kinds of ideas and mush them together and modify them and make them even better and more concise like he's done in, in the MCU. So that to me is what's really exciting. Being ahead of Marvel, of everything, TV, comics, movies, everything, it's a big deal. You know, animation, whatever. It's a big deal. And I'm really excited to see what he does and what kind of creative endeavors he lets people go on. Um, but mainly with the comics for me because I think that's going to be where all the real – I don't want to say weird stuff, but the stuff that I think that will be more daring will be probably we'll, we'll probably see in the comics first, and then maybe echoed into the other material um, if it's successful. Yeah, well, and I think part of the reason that we haven't heard as much about this is I don't think as much is being done yet, and I think once these things kind of start happening and wheels get in motion. And if there's going to be any job changes or anything like that, that's when people start to talk. And so that's when we'll start to see it report in the trades. I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, there's never going to be as much attention on it because comic books are nowhere near as high profile as movies or television. But for those of us who really follow this stuff, not just because you love comic books, even if you don't read comics, the reason why this is worth uh, following so closely is this is where your movies are going to come from. And it's not just uh, you know the, the the comic book market and, and Marvel Comics specifically that still needs to stay healthy creatively, if not financially, it needs to stay. It still needs to stay healthy creatively because Marvel pulls from that. It, it's not like you could say, well, there have already been more than enough comic books published to inspire Marvel Studios movies for you know decades to come. Maybe there are, but that doesn't mean the best stuff is there yet. And you know who would probably agree with that? Kevin Feige and the team at Marvel Studios. You know how I can guess that? Because they've pulled so much from recent comics in the MCU. 
there's no MC Marvel Studios has not been playing favorites over from classic comics from 60s versus 70s versus 80s, 90s, 2000s and beyond. They haven't been playing favorites. They've just done that best idea wins mentality, including the things that inspire uh, their stories. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, that team, the Guardians of the Galaxy iteration that we know in the MCU started in the comic books in 2008. And there was a movie out six years later or six and a half years later in 2014. That's the kind of turnaround that we're talking about with Marvel. And some things are even faster than that. I mean, or, or around that same kind of timeline. I mean, the Black Order being introduced in 2013 in the Infinity storyline by Jonathan Hickman. And then there they are as the children of Thanos in Avengers Infinity War in 2018. Like, we see these things happening. Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, relatively new character in the Marvel Comics canon, and now she's going to be on uh, on Disney+. Plus. The Jane Foster Thor, relatively new thing, and that's happening. Sam Wilson, Captain America, as we saw in Avengers Endgame. So Marvel is pulling from everywhere. And that means they will, if they're pulling from the recent stuff of the past decades worth of Marvel Comics, well, then that means they're still going to need new stuff to be created, you know, beyond right now that they're going to pull from in future movies and Disney Plus series. So there's no doubt in my mind that Feige and, and Marvel Studios, they care very much about the health of Marvel Comics, at least creatively. And there's some things that, you know, and I've, I've talked about this on other shows, including on our, our Patreon, so I don't want to go too deep into it here. But, you know, for comic books, everybody knows, I mean, we're, we are well past the days of the, the peak of comic book sales. And I know some of that was the speculation market in the 90s and whatever else. But, you know, comic book sales, they've been, I mean, they're okay, but they're obviously a small fraction of, of what they used to be. Some books actually do so, still sell pretty well, but it's all it's all relatively speaking, relative to other books, not relative to what the industry used to be. And so financially, it's an industry that is really struggling to find new growth. And uh, so that's why a lot of people have taken, it's a very common stance on this, that comic books at DC and Marvel that it is basically subsidized intellectual property development, where even if it doesn't turn a profit, it's worth absorbing the small losses, the relatively small losses there for Warner Brothers or for Disney to keep having new stories that could inspire, you know, more lucrative, uh, you know, stories in more lucrative mediums like film, uh, like movies and like streaming. So it'll keep going. But I think the reason why we're not hearing as much about it is because there's not as much movement. And I think the reason there's not as much movement is I do think Kevin Feige is going to take a slower and more methodical approach to this because this is where he has the least amount of experience. He has plenty of experience producing live-action content. And so the Disney Plus series and other stuff on the small screen, including animation, like it feels kind of like an extension, a more natural extension of what he's always been doing. Comic books are a bit more of a different animal. And so I think he's going to take his time to see what that is. And he's probably going to rely on a lot of the experts that are already in place and then figure out, uh, what steps he what step he, he needs to take but I certainly don't think that that Feige is uh, you know he's doing this because I think he values the comic books and he wants to make sure that that stays as as healthy as it can be because it's in it's in Disney and Marvel Studios best interest to have a creatively healthy uh, Marvel comics and, and Marvel publishing division so yeah huge news with uh, with Kevin Feige and of course we spent a lot of time talking about that so you can go back to our episode of the podcast uh, where we talked about that not that far. Not that far back in the feed from where you found this episode. Uh, So another thing that came up in November, and I had a chance to talk about this on an episode of the podcast. Um, Paul, you haven't yet had a chance to weigh in. 
Oddly enough, this news broke uh, not long after we did an episode talking about the idea of Marvel fatigue and whether or not that was something worth worrying about or something that that might happen at any point. Um, Of course, you can go back to that episode to hear us explore that. Uh, But at the time, when we had that conversation, it was based on there being four movies in 2021, but only three movies in 2022, and we didn't even yet have release dates for 2023. Well, since that happened, back on November 15th, we figured, uh, we found out that Marvel Studios has added a fourth movie in 2022, and they've got four release dates now booked for 2023. So for 2022, they already had February 18th, May 6th, which is Black Panther 2, and July 29th. They've since added October 7th, which definitely sounds like a Blade release date, October 7th, 2022, if I had to guess. And then in 2023, they've got February 17th, May 5th, July 28th, and November 3rd, back to that first weekend in November that has served Marvel Studios pretty well over the years. So this is now kind of the the standard thing for Marvel Studios, Paul, is that we are going to be getting, starting in 2021, even though one of those is for Sony with Spider-Man 3, Not next year, but in 2021, we're going to have, as a normal thing, four Marvel Studios movies a year, as well as three to four Disney Plus series every single year. It's a lot of Marvel, but I'm well beyond the point of, of betting against Marvel because they've done such an extraordinary job and they've been so consistent, uh, but this is certainly you know, taking things to uh, to another level. I don't think they would put themselves in a position to stretch themselves too thin. So I feel like if they're doing this, they're comfortable that they can that they can continue to develop things at this uh, at this rate. Um, but and I'm I'm excited for it. I, I'm certainly not. It's it's be, it's in the best interest of me as a fan. Hopefully, if all this content is as good as I expect, and then also it doesn't suck having a Marvel podcast and there being this much stuff to talk about. Yeah. Well, it, with everything we're getting, it's it is a lot, and I think that it's gonna. I'll be honest; it's probably gonna test our limits a little bit as far as as fatigue is and and getting the urgency to see things right away. I think is going at least for the mainstream audience is gonna go away a little bit. But the one thing that what I've talked about and that that I think Kevin knows and understands is that you can you know before we thought two three movies a year would be too much, and now it's like oh that's not that bad at all. But, yeah. but why is that? It's because the franchises that they're developing and they're putting out there are vastly different from each other for the most part. Right. And because of that, that's why I'm 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 not saying yay or nay to anything yet until we see what exactly is coming out. So if we get like let's say a I'm just gonna throw some couple of things out here. Let's get a Nova movie and we get a Blade Night Stalkers movie and then we get like a Miss Marvel movie and then we have a Fantastic Four movie. Those four are vastly different properties, all within the same universe, but vastly, vastly different and will carry different tones, et cetera, et cetera. So with all of that said, it really comes down to how different the properties are and how well, I mean, obviously how well the movies are in general. But I think that to me is the deciding factor. As long, assuming these are all Marvel Studios, you know, quality and they're all good or, or at least above average. As far as again mainstream action, you know, adventure films, whatever. Uh, I think it's going to come down to how do you make these things different, and how do you make them marketable to say, yeah, come see this movie. You didn't see the same. Blade is not Miss Marvel, and say, uh, you know, Nova is not Fantastic Four, and, and Fantastic Four is not Miss Marvel, and vice versa, and all that stuff. So, 
I think that that's what's going to be the hard thing and the hard sell is spacing out the right things. Because look at we get Black Widow this year, and then the next movie after that, I believe, is Eternals, right? So, right. so those are very, very vastly different properties, but they're in the same universe. Again, and again, we in the same phase. We got Shang Chi, very different from Blade and from Eternals. Eternals might bleed a little bit into into uh, Shang Chi because of this. It might deal with the mysticism and, and, and celestial things perhaps I don't know but because sometimes they can be all in the same but they're but they're obviously very different too I mean there's gonna be different different these different types of films and that's what's ultimately going to be selling the points of all these things and that's what one thing that the original Marvel phases did a great job of for the most part even though the Captain America first Avenger was not this highest you know super high grossing film it did okay but i think it's aged well and i think people have kind of accepted what's going on in the marvel universe as far as these different kinds of films is because of something like you get marvel and the uh excuse me captain captain america and the uh, first avenger because it's based in world war ii it's a world war ii movie you know it's it's different it's not the same thing as iron man before it or thor before it. thor is very different than iron man and captain america and that's why those things back to back work so well and that's why the team ups work so well is because they're such vastly different areas and they're coming together and, and that's the brilliance of marvel characters in general right so the movies just adding on top of that it, that's ultimately ultimately the deciding factor that's why marvel's been successful so far and that's why if it's going to be keep being successful even if putting out as many properties as they are that's going to be it if they keep putting if they put out like say dr strange 2 and like panther 2 and you know and and on and captain marvel 2 which i don't think they're going to do but but if they did that that i think it'd be redundant but if they keep mixing it up and having one sequel with maybe a couple fresh new properties with another sequel on to bookend it, something like that. I think it's going to keep it fresh because I think as long as you keep it a little familiar and you bookend it or you, you space it out enough to where people are excited for the next thing or they're looking forward to it. And because maybe not everyone's going to love Blade. You know, or not everyone's going to like Fantastic Four, but they're going to love Blade or, you know, there's going to be something for everyone. And I think that they may not see all three or four, and that's what's going to probably happen. You're going to, it's going to, you might see a little bit of dip in, in that, but I think in the end you're developing new characters and that's ultimately really important for the Disney brand and Marvel brand because they need to keep adding new characters. They can't just keep relying on Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man and, and, and Chris Evans as Captain America. You need to start developing new characters, new heroes. And the only way to do that is by doing that. So, I mean, they got to see what hits. But I think having the variety they have will be ultimately what saves them. And if, if they're assuming they are all good films. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to quality more so than anything else. Like this is just what you have to do. And I think the pressure is, is always there. But obviously, the more that you're putting out, then the more each thing has to not only be great, but also stand out from the other things that you're doing so that people don't get tired of it. And I think we've already seen Marvel Studios doing a great job of, of balancing that where you can go to franchises and get different things and, and not necessarily every franchise carries the same expectation as far as how it's going to perform. Like the Ant-Man franchise, they don't spend as much on that franchise, but it's it's their fun family film franchise. That's what they're doing with Ant-Man and it works and it become, it's a very profitable franchise in its own way, even if it doesn't make 
the massive, uh, you know, if it doesn't have the massive box office records of a, a Black Panther or a Captain Marvel or, or whatever. So they can adjust their expectations depending on what it is that they're doing and, and how much they're going to spend on a given thing. So you have all of these different ways of managing it. And four movies really isn't four movies really isn't that much. I mean, as you said, we went from two to three. And as Marvel Studios has gone to three, it's not like we've seen the appetite for Marvel movies shrink, like, at all. <laughs> like, it's only, the, the appetite has only grown. Now, there's going to be some ebb and flow, and we've already seen this with Marvel. Age of Ultron didn't make the money that the first Avengers movie made. Even Civil War, a lot of people thought, well, that will be, be in the neighborhood of Age of Ultron or the first Avengers movie, but that because it's Spider-Man in the MCU for the first time and Black Panther's debuting, well, it didn't really end up that way. What you saw was, I mean, Civil War didn't even make as much as, as Iron Man 3, which I would not have predicted, but there's just a little bit of, of ebb and flow there. I mean, the audience still liked it, and it was still a massive hit, well over a billion dollars, but it just didn't quite reach, uh, you know, that, it just didn't quite reach the level of, of other films. But then we saw it come roaring back with Black Panther kicking things off in 2018, and of course, engaging a whole new audience with that film and that audience has has, con has only continued to grow and with loving Infinity War and then Ant-Man and the Wasp even though it didn't make them anywhere near Ant uh, Black Panther or Infinity War of course was still did a, was nice growth from the no pun intended from the first Ant-Man movie and then in 2019 you get Captain Marvel doing amazing business you get uh, you, of course, get Avengers Endgame being the highest-grossing film of all time, and then you get Spider-Man Far From Home being the highest-grossing Spider-Man film of all time. Like, you continue to see this appetite expanding. There is a demand for it. It doesn't mean that every Marvel Studios movie or every new franchise is going to debut with a billion-dollar hit like Black Panther or Captain Marvel, but as long as we don't let that become an unrealistic expectation and we give these things the 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 space to succeed in, in whatever way they might be designed to or based on whatever the risk is of, of how much it's budgeted for. I, I think the appetite is there. And I, I think the other thing that, that you can look at here is not every Marvel Studios movie needs to be for every potential member of the audience. We already know that this is true. Otherwise, we would see all these movies making about the same amount of money. Some people might be more partial to a Thor franchise or a Captain Marvel or a Black Panther or a Shang-Chi or whatever, but then they might have their favorite solo franchise, but then everybody comes together to see their favorite character or characters when they start teaming up with the other ones uh, for big Avengers movies or whatever other team-ups we see. So I, there's no doubt in my mind that they will continue to be successful as long as they can maintain their consistency with respect to uh, quality and also being able to effectively differentiate the stories that they're telling and the characters that they're telling. And the the biggest difference is to me, it's the you know it's what it's the genres that they can mess with, like you know doing the spy, the espionage thriller for Captain America: The Winter Soldier versus the space opera for Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, you differentiate it with the style of the movie or series on Disney Plus, but also, I mean, the, the biggest differentiating factor is the characters themselves. They're not the same people. And Marvel does such a great job of illustrating what's different about their characters and what's appealing about these characters and getting to the heart of them where you have, uh, in, in many ways, polar opposites like Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. And that's, you know, that, make, that, makes as, that has as much of an impact as far as differentiating stories as anything else. And they're both very different from Peter Parker or T'Challa or Carol Danvers or Natasha Romanoff or whomever. So I think the appetite is there as long as the consistency remains. And there's no uh, right now, there's just absolutely no cause to doubt Marvel Studios in that respect. So 
as we move on and we get closer to the end of the year, the big story for November, those new release dates. Uh, we also saw the release of the Infinity Saga box set. There's an episode of that. Uh, and when I talk about those release dates, I also reviewed the Infinity Saga box set. Looks great on the shelf. A little light on exclusive material on the bonus disc, although there's some good things there if you want to go back and listen to that podcast. Um, the big stories of December, uh, we had the first ever teaser trailer for Black Widow. We, of course, talked about that a couple of episodes back. Paul and I were both uh, were both big fans of it. Uh, we're going to talk more about that, as well as I know Kevin Feige revealed a lot of things at Comic-Con Experience in Brazil. We're not going to go through all of that here. I mean, he had they showed some Black Widow footage that wasn't in the trailer. We're at Comic-Con or D23. They showed the first ever footage for the Eternals, and Feige talked more about that project. He talked about some other things. But we're actually going to save a lot of that because we want to discuss it in the context of each specific project that Marvel Studios has coming up. So what you're going to see us do is in the early part of next year, it may not be our very next episode kicking things off in 2020, but we talked about this before. We talked about this during Comic-Con. We talked about this during D23. We are going to spend a lot of time. We are actually going to spend time on each individual project that's been announced so far. Uh, Each one will get its own podcast episode where we'll talk about, we'll, we'll reestablish what we know and then go off of our speculation from there and share our excitement or enthusiasm for these uh, given projects. And so the CCXP uh, material, that will, of course, inform that uh, conversation. There was an episode of the Daily Bugle on the Patreon that weekend that Kevin Feige was there, which was back on, I think, December 7th. Uh, I did uh, almost, I don't know, 45-minute, hour-long episode of the Daily Bugle uh, on our Patreon at patreon.com slash News. That's where I, I recapped all that stuff if you want to hear that over there. But we'll be going through it on a film-by-film, series-by-series basis before too long. Uh, but, Paul, uh, any quick thoughts on the uh, Black Widow trailer before we uh, before we recap or we give our closing thoughts on the year? Nah, just I really liked it. I've seen it a bunch now that I've seen it in the theater. And mm, it, yeah. just, it just gets – it looks like a really good time. And, again, it looks like a different kind of film, which I'm, I'm glad because – we need more of those in the in Marvel Universe. So yeah, I'm, I'm, and it's and it's good to see Black Widow again. I I'm glad that we're we're getting her right after Endgame. Yeah, I mean surprise surprise, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up that uh, the trailer played well on the big screen. I mean if it if it plays well on my phone or um, even on my TV, it's going to play well in a theater, and it did. I mean I saw it. I've only seen it on the big screen once with uh, Rise of Skywalker on opening night, but. It looked great. I mean, it just reminded me in obviously a much bigger way why I, I love that trailer so much. And and for me, when I, I think about the Black Widow trailer, I don't really think of it just in terms of the footage that's there, but also what was shown in Hall H at Comic-Con and at D23 Expo. I just think this movie, I, I know there's all the questions of do we need a, a prequel in the MCU, even though, well, it's still technically a prequel, but yeah, set between Civil War and Infinity War. Is it too late for the Black Widow movie? Shouldn't this have happened already? And I understand all of those questions, but the answer to those questions is, is this story good? Is this story going to be good enough? Is this movie going to be compelling enough? And it looks to be, it looks that way based on everything that I have seen from this movie so far. I have been thoroughly impressed by what director Kate Shortland is putting together in Black Widow. And and I am really, really excited to check it out on, on May 1st. I mean, this has been, uh, we are now we're a, a big chunk of the way through it. We still have a few months to go, but that's another interesting thing to to think about here is 
you know, we had this big gap between Spider-Man Far From Home and Black Widow. But after that, we're, I mean, for as long as Marvel Studios is, is successful, we're never going to have a gap between MCU stories this big again. Because we're going to have Black Widow in May. A few months later, somewhere in the fall, we're going to get Falcon and Winter Soldier. And so we'll have six episodes of that to enjoy on a weekly, ba- on a week-by-week basis. And then by the time that wraps up, we'll probably only be a few months, uh, a few weeks away from the Eternals. And then once Eternals is done, we're a few months away from Shang-Chi. And then a few months after Shang-Chi is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But in between the, in those few months, we'll have WandaVision and probably Loki since that's tying into Multiverse of Madness. And then a couple months after Doctor Strange, we're going to get the third Spider-Man film in July. Uh, somewhere around that time, we're going to get What If on Disney+. Plus. And then uh, several weeks after that, we'll have Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. And then, you know, within a few or several weeks after that, we'll have Thor Love and Thunder in theaters in November of 2021. Uh, followed by, in uh, 2022, we don't know what movie that's going to be, but another movie in February. And then uh, Black Panther 2 in May of 2022. Followed by another film in July. Followed by another film in October, and somewhere in between those gaps is probably Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk. Even though we don't have approximate dates for them just yet, uh, and then we roll into 2023, there will presumably be more Disney Plus series that have not yet been announced, uh, and then we will have a movie in February, a movie in May, a movie in July, and a movie in November. So at this point, be, when you factor in you know the the Disney Plus series going on for weeks at a time because of the weekly episode drops. We're never going to go more than probably, you know, a couple months between Marvel Studios installments pretty soon, which is, which, you know, goes to that point of it being a, a lot, but it's also really exciting. I know it's been, it's been a long time since we've seen a brand new entry to the Marvel Studios story, but that's, you know, relative to how quickly we were getting them. Uh, but they're going to be, they're going to be coming very, very frequently uh, once Black Widow gets things rolling again. Uh, but in, in looking back on this year, Paul, um, as we as we get ready to uh, to wrap this show up, or actually before we give our final thoughts, just want to uh, let everybody know again about the Marvel Studios News Patreon. I know I mentioned that offhand about that episode of the Daily Bugle a couple minutes ago. So we do have all kinds of exclusive content via our, our Patreon page. We also have a Patreon exclusive Discord community that, as I'll talk about in a few minutes, has been a big part of the fun that I've had this year. Um, and we also have, uh, besides the Daily Bugle show, Monday through Friday news show, or sometimes the weekend if there's going to be a big story there, uh, as was the case with CCXP. Uh, but we also do Q&A shows. There's the Marvel Unlimited Book Club where we talk about comic books. And we also have, what else do we have? We have a lot of stuff. We have an open Q&A where you can ask questions about not just MCU stuff. You can ask about whatever. Uh, so we have all kinds of exclusive content uh, that's not available anywhere else. It's only available at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And if you do sign up and you are getting exclusive podcasts from our Patreon, you get your own RSS feed or your own RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you get all of your Marvel Studios News content the, the main podcast that everybody hears for free, as well as the Patreon-exclusive material, it can all be in one spot. You don't have to track it down multiple places. But again, also that Patreon-exclusive Discord community is worth checking out because it's pretty awesome over there. So for more information on all the tiers that we have available, please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Paul, your final thoughts on 2019. It's been a crazy year, man, for Marvel. And I'm I'm excited to see... I'm excited we got a good end to the to the stories, um, to the 10 years of 20-plus films. I'm really excited to see uh, Spider-Man continue on in some capacity. 
and it's it, again, it was a good year for Marvel fans, man. It was it was again, it's crazy. We got the you know the three films we got, and it was and they're all they're all good. They're all good, if not amazing and great, maybe one of the best ever. So it's uh like I said, and we also got all the announcements. It's it's weird to get an ending and also get a beginning essentially too. So. Yeah, it's uh, to me, I think the real test for Marvel Studios news is is or news, uh, not us, but I'm saying for Marvel Studios, excuse me. I think the real test begins now. What what can they do after all of this? If they can master this, then they are, there's no they have created the modern. It's basically comic books and and film wise, where it's just going to go forever, like the, you know, uh, the comic books now, except they're you know whatever. But this, you know what I'm saying? Like it's almost going to be like comic books when we when we grew up except it'll be films instead. So, or TV series or whatever. It's crazy. So if they can master this, they're not too far off. And that's really impressive. I don't know if they can. I, I, I just have no idea, but it's exciting. Cause I'm getting a lot of characters that I thought I'd never, ever see or, or stories. I, I didn't even care about seeing like the Eternals. So it's crazy. The future is to me, what 2019 has done is just show me what the future is. And it looks insane. Yeah, I think Marvel Studios has already passed a number of real tests over the years and but yeah, this we are on the cusp of what could be the big leap into where yeah, I mean the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is getting closer and closer to being of the size. I mean it there are still so many thousands of stories and characters in, in the comic book, so it can never get that big in terms of the sheer volume of stories and characters, but as but it is getting closer than I ever thought would have been imaginable as far as how many characters they have been able to introduce and, and not just introduce, but tell these stories with and, and get the audience to connect with them. And in the way they've been able to do that for you know so long now, and, and now that now that we have so many more on the way, I mean, it's already been so many characters and now so many new ones uh, that we're going to be introduced to in uh, these next few years. It, it really is unbelievable. And when I look back on 2019, I'm going to be looking back on what so far I would have to say has been my favorite year as a Marvel fan. I don't think I've ever had more fun being a Marvel fan than I did in 2019. And I've been a Marvel fan for all of my life that I can remember. And, you know, from, you know, Incredible Hulk via comics and and animated shows and then the X-Men and Spider-Man stuff in the 90s and, and growing up with Marvel Marvel characters, Marvel stories, and then, of course, getting started with the MCU, you know, movies in the early 2000s, and then getting started with the MCU in 2008. It's just continued to, you know, my love for Marvel has just continued to build and build and build. And I have to give credit to Marvel Studios and the MCU for playing such a big part in that, because there are plenty of characters that I was already a big fan of. But, you know, when people ask me, oh, who's your favorite character in the MCU? I don't even have an answer to that anymore. Initially, the answer would be Hulk because that was my favorite Marvel character before this whole thing started. That was the Marvel character that I fell in love with first that got me interested in. And then ultimately, you know, through that character, met other characters in the Marvel Universe and other places, be it animation or comics. But with the MCU, I'm so far beyond the idea of be of having favorites because... It's like, you know, favorite friends or family members, although I guess people have favorite friends and family members, but I'm so emotionally connected to these characters and to so many of these characters in such a powerful way and have become so through these through these stories that I don't really have favorites anymore. I, I just love this whole thing. And, you know, I yes, of course, I love Tony Stark and was so proud to see the way his journey came to an end with the sacrifice he made in Avengers Endgame and to have this this very happy ending for Steve Rogers, for Tony to sacrifice his life, 
for Steve Rogers to finally get one in Avengers Endgame. Of course, that's extraordinary, but also the journey that we went on with Thor, but not just the high profile and, and you know, Natasha Romanoff and, and Clint Barton, Bruce Banner, and not just the original six. I am a massive Nebula fan now because of the MCU, and I really didn't care that much about that character in the comic books, but through the MCU and the the storytelling from James Gunn in the Guardians franchise to the Russos and Marcus and McFeely in Infinity War and Endgame, I mean, they have elevated so many characters for me, and I think Nebula is one of my favorite examples to point out because that is a character that I know I just had zero connection to before the MCU started, and to a point where that moment of Karen Gillan kind of sitting back with that realization of, of Nebula that she won something, that somebody ha- that an opponent has credited her with a victory when nobody really does that, uh, you know, that, that that moment means so much to me in Endgame, just like other moments with better known and, and higher profile Avengers characters mean so much to me. You know, that Nebula moment doesn't mean any less. It, it's just, it's phenomenal. And that's the kind of character work that the MCU has gifted us. And so, to have it pay off in such an extraordinary way in 2019, to have these films that had such anticipation with Captain Marvel living up to and exceeding the hype, Avengers Endgame just completely taking all of my expectations, shattering them in the first 20 minutes, and then showing that I, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't expecting enough from uh, just what that movie was capable of delivering. And then Spider-Man Far From Home. No, I didn't like it as much as Spider-Man Homecoming, but it's still a movie that I love very much and, and really had an incredible time with. And so that all of that has been awesome. And again, going back to celebrating Black Panther at the beginning of this year through the awards nominations that it received, all of that was incredible. And then to turn the page on that in the first half of the year and start looking forward to what was next and getting back to a blank canvas for the MCU as a fan with Phase 4 and being in Hall H to be there for those announcements and same thing at at D23 and then other things exciting about the future. Spider-Man staying in the MCU for at least a little while longer. Kevin Feige in Marvel Studios being in charge of more, uh, even more content uh, through Marvel in in all these different mediums. All of that and getting more Marvel movies and Marvel stories on an annual basis than we've ever had before and the excitement of the next very specific project with Black Widow via the trailer. Such a great year with so many great highlights, and I had so many great experiences. You know, being at the, I did go to, I, I didn't go to the Far From Home premiere. I did go to the Captain Marvel premiere. I went to the Endgame premiere. Amazing to be able to go to those things as uh, as a Marvel fan, because yes, I, I cover this stuff, uh, but I'm I'm a fan first and foremost, and so being there for those moments, as I said, it's just such a privilege to have been at uh, at events like that. But when I say that this is the this is the most fun that I've ever had being a Marvel fan, it's not. It's about those things. It's about those movies, and it's about those uh, you know the stories that I love so much. But it's also how I was able to share them and with whom I was able to share them. And so, you know, when I look at this year, I, I talked about our Discord community through our Patreon, and we have such an amazing community there. Uh, of fans who are very positive and they they interact with each other in the right way they're they're enthusiastic and and the conversations that we have even you know even when subjects like let's say there's a brand new Star Wars movie Rise of Skywalker not everybody agrees on that film I don't know if you know this but everybody's been able to be very respectful with one another as they discuss and and debate these things but when uh, more specific to Marvel it's just been so fun celebrating with everybody all of these days that I talked about, like, well, we we didn't talk about when Captain Marvel t- uh, tickets went on sale, but when Captain Marvel tickets went on sale, 
when uh, you know the Black Panther Oscar nominations came in, when we had opening night for Marvel films, the drama of the Endgame tickets going on sale. You know, there's always this conversation that's happening, and it's a great place to share it with people who've you know really become you know friends in the way that we've you know con- that we've just continued to be there for each other and and share our mutual enthusiasm and excitement. You know, it's having our, our little tribe of people who really love this stuff and want to talk about it in a very positive constru- or at least constructive way, even when it's not, even when you, nobody, even when somebody doesn't necessarily feel like being positive about something and wants to offer a criticism. It's just been really awesome to have that. It, it's been such an amazing community and it's only grown. The Discord was something that we actually launched through our Patreon in 2019. We didn't have it when the Patreon initially started in, in 2018. And then it's only grown since then with more people being a part of it and also what we've done. I've been able to do office hour sessions where I just hang out for a couple hours at a time or sometimes much longer than that, just talking about Marvel with whoever's around, whoever's there. We've been doing watch parties now on on almost on basically a monthly basis is what we're up to. Uh, we did uh, we did, of course, a couple of endgame watch parties. We did one for Spider-Man Far From Home. In November, we did one for Captain Marvel to celebrate the launch of Disney+. Plus. In December, we did one for Iron Man 3 because it's a Christmas movie. Don't at me. I don't care. Uh, and, so, and it's part of my Christmas tradition. So we watched Iron Man 3 for December. And we've got plenty more coming up. At, usually, And again, we've been doing at least one of these a month. But it's just fun to be with this crew of, of, talking, of people talking about Marvel. And then, you know, for the people that I've, you know, of course, known for for longer than that, with Paul as as my co-host here on Marvel Studios News, also John Beerley over on Fandalorians, that the three of us were able to get together because, you know, the Endgame meant the most to me as a movie, but what meant almost as much was the spoiler review that we were going to do for Avengers Endgame. And especially once I saw the movie, I got to say, the pressure I felt on that podcast went up because I wanted a podcast that was good enough for that that was worthy pun partially intended of that movie that we saw and that we loved so much and that you know it was worthy of the journey that we had been on that that movie brought gave such a, a wonderful culmination to and so you know to be able to share that you know love that movie so much and then share that with with you Paul and, and with our pal John just celebrating that movie together for 4 hours that that went by like nothing yeah. um you know that's that's what means, you know, that that means as much as the movies themselves, because, you know, when I used to enjoy this stuff by myself uh, as a kid growing up, believe me, it was still fun, but it was never as much fun as this. It was never as much fun as having people that, you know, you love, you trust, you care about who, you know, love this stuff just like you do, even if you don't all love the same things about it, but they still approach it from the same level of love and passion and respect and care. And so to, to be able to celebrate that with people, it's it's the be- it's one of the best feelings in the world. I mean, one thing that I, I, I had shared with a couple of people privately over the past few years, I, I talked about this year being a, a, such a big deal. I had put in my mind 2019 as, as potentially the last year that I would podcast that I'd say, look, this is the, the peak year. We're going to get, we're going to finish off phase three of the MCU. Star Wars is probably going to end an era with the new trilogy that was coming up and a lot of other things. And, you know, this was a time now I'm not saying that this I felt this way throughout this year, but for a long time I had had set it up as this was going to be the last year. And then when Paul and I brought this podcast and because things had already been slowing down, I mean, it was already kind of a natural thing. I wasn't able to podcast as much in 2017. And so it just felt like, you know, I was going to keep things around just enough to be able to do the shows I wanted to do in 2019 and then uh, make my exit from from doing this. 
And then Paul and I brought this podcast back full time in uh, in 2018. And, you know, we found, uh, of course, you know, you know, I really wanted to do it. I was really passionate about it. And it re- kind of reignited my passion for not I mean, my my passion for Marvel had never wavered. But for podcasting specifically, I really got back into it full force and, and was able to find that that I really love this and, and I don't want to stop. I don't plan to stop at any point. Um, the only thing that's going to make me stop is a job offer from Kevin Feige. That's it, because then I would have to, and I would be signing an NDA, but I would want to start a pod, an official podcast for them. So uh, I, I don't really want to stop doing this because this is such a huge part uh, of the fun for me is is the community that we have. And it's it's amazing to have these stories, uh, but it what's the just as amazing is being able to being able to share them uh, with all of you who listen to this podcast. Uh, with those of you who I, I get to, who Paul and I are fortunate enough to be able to interact with on our Discord community, and then of course with uh, with Paul and John and everybody else that I get to talk to about this stuff, it's just it's incredible. And so when I look back on on 2019, I won't just be thinking about Avengers Endgame, even though it is the movie of the year. I'll be thinking about the best time I ever had being a Marvel fan. Yeah. That's really well said, man. This podcast has been you know meant a lot to me. Like you said, like we grew up not having a lot of people to talk to about this stuff, and now we have tons of people to talk to us this stuff about, and it's exciting, it's fun, and it makes it worth it. It really does. And uh, thanks to everyone for making 2019 an amazing year. Your support means a lot to us and to me. And you know, it's uh, it's everyone's been pretty cool, and let's keep let's keep supporting each other, and uh, let's go have a good time uh, watching Marvel stuff, huh? Yeah. So no need to worry. And when I, 2019 was going to be my last year podcasting, but I made up my mind to keep going beyond 2019, even before, as I said, this year started. So we're going to keep rolling in 2020, and we look forward to having you with us as well as any new members who may join us along the way. But thank you all so much for the part you played in, in making 2019 such a wonderful year for us as Marvel fans and as Marvel podcasters. Uh, we really love the group uh, that we have here, and we love talking about this stuff. And we are humbled and honored that you all take time out of your schedules uh, to listen to what we have to say about these characters and stories that we love so much, uh, which we do in plenty of places, as you know, MarvelStudiosNews.com, Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News, and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. Paul, where can everybody find you? Find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. And if you want to hear some Star Wars talk, you can check out Fandalorians. Paul is actually on our most recent episode with a spoiler podcast of The of the Rise of Skywalker. John and I have also been doing episode-by-episode reviews of The Mandalorian. So make sure you check all of that out if you are interested in those kinds of conversations beyond Marvel. Uh, but thank you all again for a terrific 2019 It's been a lot of fun. I don't really think 2020 can be bigger than 2019, uh, but it will be uh, exciting nonetheless as we get started on a brand new phase for and a brand new era for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we look forward to joining you for all of it. So for Marvel Studios News and for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 